Welcome to Savvy Saps Podcast on Call-In. This is episode 142. Sean King banned Israel and Iran and more. So many things have happened there. Let's go ahead and bring in uh, Eric. Um, not Eric T, but the other Eric. What's going on? Not either uh, one. <laughs> hey, what's up? Savvy. Hey, what's up? Uh, Merry Christmas. I couldn't join your, or I, I, I didn't watch your show live on your Christmas Eve, I think that you had, but I've gotten to watch some of those shows. I just, I didn't know you were on that day, unfortunately. There's too much going on. But Merry Christmas either way. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And you too. Good. Yeah, I actually, I was on um, Sunday because I wasn't on the last Sunday, so I do every other Sunday now. Oh, okay. And it, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Holidays to the rest of the people listening in. Um, you know what, Savvy, I, I, you know, with this guy, the guy, Sean King, I, I am I saying it right, Sean King? Yes. So, so with that guy, you know, it's kind of weird because when I first found out about him a couple of years ago, I didn't know that he was doing what he was doing. And when I first watched him on the surface, I thought, okay, this, this guy seems to be on something that's correct. And, and I thought, you know, I thought that he was, he was a black dude i thought he was a brother okay i didn't know that he was you know that he's not and that's what kind of really turned me off because you know once i found out that he wasn't what he i guess in some ways projects himself to be uh, it just kind of like rubbed me the wrong way and then when i started to look into it i was like okay i saw him online or on some videos kind of not accepting the fact that he's not, you know, who he projected himself to be or presented himself to be. He didn't just come clean. And so I was like, man, this dude's kind of phony, right? And <laughs> so that, that, that's, a, that's what kind of rubbed me the wrong way about him. And then it wasn't until today on your show when you were saying that he was swindling money. I didn't know that part. That part I didn't know. I only knew that he had projected himself to be something that he wasn't. And that was like, I, I couldn't really accept or get past that. You know, at the beginning, I thought, okay, this guy seems to be on speaking about things that I, in some way or another, I'm interested in. Maybe I agree with them. So I was compelled to, to find out more about him. But again, it was the fact that he, you know, he presented himself to be one way and, and clearly he's not that. So I was like, man, that's kind of fake, you know. But today from your show then i find out that he was actually swindling i'm like man that's really bad okay i didn't know he was doing that so you know thank you for for sharing that with us today i didn't know and then you know i I think i've shared with the team here that i'm not on twitter i'm not on any of the other platforms but i do you know follow ig and whatnot and you know to his credit or however you want to you know kind of phrase it he had been posting uh, a lot of the atrocities on his on his uh, IG page, and and many of the many of the videos that I saw were not just on his page, but I I would find them on like other people from the Middle East that just come across my feed. He was posting a lot of the really really sad videos, you know, of little kids and people getting maimed and killed and just really bad images of people under the crumbles uh, of the buildings getting destroyed, just a number of things that he posted that were legit, you know, but that's all I looked at. You know, I didn't like going to just from time to time, uh, his feet would come across mine 
uh, in my, you know, on my IG, I would see him. I was like, okay, okay, he's doing that, right? But I always remember what he did, that he was kind of a phony dude. But okay, but he's doing this. He's He's got a lot of people that watch his platform because he's got like, I think he has like four or five million people that follow him, right? Mm-hmm. And then, um, like, I want to say the day before, I started watching some 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 uh, streams that came my way, and in and, and and the algorithm, what the algorithm does in IG is, if you look into a subject, the more you look into that type of subject, the more it feeds you those those type of subjects from other pages, right? Like anything else, it kind of figures out what you're looking at, and then it pushes more. You know, like if say you go look for hamburgers, it starts to push you a whole bunch of pages on hamburgers, kind of like that. So if you've been watching some stuff from the Middle East, it, it'll push more of that towards you. So, so um, the last two days or the night before, I saw a couple of people post. Uh, first, I saw something with Sean King saying, I'm all right. Everything's OK. I'm like, OK, what is he talking about? Didn't pay no mind. Just kept, you know, past that. And it probably like later in the day, I see this other guy saying, oh, yeah, this guy has been removed. Because he was putting a lot of these uh, images from Palestine that were, you know, sort of pro-Palestinian perspective. And I can say, you know, not looking, other, you know, further than just looking at the post, it, they were. That, I believe they were, just based on what I could see. So I know that I've shared before in previous weeks that IG is definitely censoring you know, and mm-hmm. if you if you write something opposed against Israel or the Democrats or the Republicans or Biden, they'll flag you through their their AI or their algorithm. It, just as an individual, you don't even have to have a big platform. But if you write certain words, it, it'll censor your what, what you post and it'll delete it for you. And if you do it enough, they remove you from IG for uh, they, not remove you. I'm sorry. They they. They basically block you from making any post for like so many days, depending on how bad it is. So I know that IG has been doing that for quite a while. Well, it looks like with him, they removed his entire account. Um, and, and my point is, you know, Michael Rappaport sitting up there laughing about someone being censored. And he himself has also experienced censorship just because it's someone that you don't like or you don't agree with. That doesn't make the censorship right. That's the thing that bothered me because I didn't agree with Alex Jones, right? I didn't agree with most of the things that Donald Trump was saying during his presidency, but I don't agree with people being censored because again, it seems like to me, a lot of times the left is okay with these things when it's happening to people that seem to have a narrative that they don't agree with. But the moment the censorship then starts to transfer over to them, then all of a sudden they want to cry like a baby. And like, I don't have time for that. Like the thing is, we all know Sean King is corrupt. Uh, the money thing has been an issue for a couple of years. There have actually been other activists that tried to warn people about Sean King early on when he first stepped onto the scene in reference to uh, police brutality incidents. Because again, like I told you guys, Sean King used to work with TYT. He's another one of those one, another one of those people that started at TYT and then moved on to other things. So I think that, you know, the, the warning signs were there. And what really bothers me is that when he finally does say, okay, I was removed from Instagram and this is the reason why, because he's been known as such a swimmer and a grifter, people don't know whether to believe it or not. 
That's right. Yeah, and it you know it creates this negative connotation. Again, you know, I didn't know about the money swindling thing that he was doing, the actual grifting, but the fact that he presented himself to be something that he wasn't kind of prevented me from wanting to know or just you know really want to know more about him. I'm like, you know, I'm just gonna put this to the side. I'm not gonna really. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to hear this dude because he comes across as being phony. And, and mind you, I, I'm a. I'm a. I, I'm a believer that you need to give people a second chance if they make a mistake and they come clean and they and they admit to it, depending on what it is. OK, there's levels of things that you could do in life. But, you know, we can all make mistakes. And I think, you know, if, if you make a mistake and you can get past that and evolve uh, over a period of time and you have good, uh, good faith you know, behind what you're trying to do, it'll come it'll come across. And, and over time, I think, you know, you could you could make yourself, you know, uh, just do you, you can you can become a better person. So I, I, I do believe people need a second chance. But if you don't come clean with it, you know, and that's why I couldn't get past with this dude, because even after people called the mouse, you know, basically saying, hey, you're not you're not really black, you know, like just come clean with it. Uh, he couldn't do it. You know, from the from the videos that I saw, he was still kind of deflecting, and I'm like, man, come on, dude, just just you know, it would have been better if he just came came clean, but he couldn't do it. So I I after he didn't come clean on what I saw, the videos that I saw, I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm I can't really accept this dude after that, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm more and, and for people who are not aware, um, you know, there were there were white uh, activists that were a part of the civil rights movement that didn't try to pretend <laughs> that they were something, you know, that they weren't like, and, and the thing is, whether he's biracial, white or whatever, like it just is what it is. Okay. Just be honest about that. Just don't try to pretend to be something that you're not. Well, you know, and, it, and it's funny because look, there's, there's folks on various platforms over the years that I've seen that are, you know that you could see they grew they grew in in a certain area, and they they grew up around a lot of people of color, and you can see the way they talk and the way they present themselves. However, they're not trying to tell people that they're not who they are, but they they may they may look and, and have a style to them, right? But they're not saying, "Hey, I'm 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 not this. I'm actually." So it's just with him, it was just kind of phony, you know, the fact that he just couldn't come clean. Anyhow, so I, I went past that, and, and that's why I can't really, you know, kind of mess with that guy. But, uh, you know, going back to the rest of the thing that's going on in, in Palestine, I could tell you the other thing that I've seen, again, just on IG, over the last, I want to say the last two weeks, it, it doesn't seem as much movement as there were the previous weeks. Maybe there's there's less, I don't think, actually... So IG and these platforms are diminishing what they're allowing people to show. They may be silencing globally, you know, what we're getting now. And there may be something, you know, that they're doing right now collectively, you know, with the powers that be within IG, within Facebook, within Meta, that they are lessening our ability to hear what's coming, what what people are actually putting on their own pages regarding Palestine. And so they are in some way censoring globally, you know, what we're getting from Meta, you know, again, Facebook, Instagram and others. And they're doing it because they don't want people to be on the same page, which is, you know, 
obviously the whole world is seeing what we're seeing. So as, as, an, as an example today, you know, when this, when that guy from the IDF or, or the Israeli representative that they had talking to Cornell, the guy's literally lying to us, you know, he's lying. And then luckily Cornell calls him out there, you know, Cornell's very respectful. So he calls him out nicely, but he's saying like, you're lying. And he calls him brother, whatever he called them. And then, you know, just very, uh, expeditiously then Pierce, as soon as Cornell starts calling the guy a liar, he's like, okay, we're going to have to end it. You know, this is an interesting <laughs> conversation. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Right when he's calling him the liar, now you just got to end it? Come on. Because if they would have kept going, had that interview kept going, that guy would have kept, he would have kept digging the ditch. And Cornell was kind of nicely pushing him into the ditch that he was digging for himself. And there was nowhere to go. You know, there was nowhere to go. And as you've shown over the last few weeks, anytime that somebody starts to get somebody to push us back from uh, from the Palestine perspective and they ask for facts or they ask for data, then on the other side, the, the pro-Israeli Zionists, they start to like get emotional or if not, you know, in this case, peers kind of helped the guy out by ending the interview. Yep. Uh, right? Especially so, when you say the words occupation or oppression, then they get really emotional. That's right. That's right. But, you know, like today, you know, I saw some images today on Instagram. I think I saw like maybe three or four posts with little kids. You know, one post had, and I can't watch them for too long, you know. And, I, you know, I'm not a saint. I'm not Mother Teresa. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm just a regular person. But even that gets to me, you know, like when I see four little kids that I saw today, they're all like on the floor. Okay. And they're bleeding. You can see that they've been in some, some kind of, some kind of bomb that went off and you can see it. They have all this dust on their bodies. One of the kids looks like he's halfway dead. The other kid looks like he's half, you know, he's got a concussion. They got wraps around their, their hands. Right. And those images, they, they kind of like live with you. Uh, I saw another image of another little kid today, a, a little boy. He might have been like eight and he's sitting down on the floor with his back up against the wall. And he's holding he's got it like an IV. I think that's what you call it. He's got like an IV thing to his arm and to his vein. Right. And he's, he's sitting up against the wall. This little boy is like eight years old. You know what I mean? I mean he might have been seven. And you can see that he's been in some kind of trauma in another bombardment. That kind of stuff is happening and we're seeing it. And, you know, I, 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 I sent you back on the, on the, on the chat. I was putting what this guy had down, this guy on IG, they did the math, you know, like basically right now, the IDF is killing 7,000 civilians per month because they've been at this on three months and there's, 21,000 people that have been killed, at least civilians. And, and so at, at the rate that they're going, they're killing 7,000 people a month. And then the guy had done the math that during the war of 60, I think he said it was 67 months, 67 months of war when, uh, when, the, when the Nazis were bombing uh, the UK, Britain, they were killing about 900 civilians per month. Yep. So already... The Israeli folks, the IDF and Netanyahu, they are killing 
exponentially more civilians. And, and, and like you were saying, Savi, you don't have to make it complicated. If you know that the, the bad people are working inside of McDonald's, why are you going to go attack Burger King? I sincerely hope I didn't make anyone hungry by me, by me the comment. But there's a distinct difference between Chick-fil-A and Burger King, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the thing that's happened that's really, in a way, the one thing that's uh, a silver lining, I want to call it, if you could call it that, is that we this it's been demystified. We are no longer buying into the BS that the Middle East conflict between Israel, which it was created by the Zionists, by Israel, on Palestinians. It was created by them, not by the Palestinians. That this conflict is not complicated. And years ago, and I remember this when I was young, you know, like in my 20s or whatever, I, I didn't understand it. I never heard of Norman Philkenstein. I didn't know somebody like him. I didn't read any books on the subject. All I knew was what was coming my way through the regular news, mainstream media. And it always seemed like it was complicated to me. And, I, and I'm sure now, because of this, you know, uh, all this, uh, you know, all the platforms that we listen to, and especially TikTok, you know, for the younger folks, that that's all out the window. This is not complicated. We can literally find out what the com- what the conflict is in a matter of minutes, because there's really good people that have put together these talking uh, sort of maps and points to how we got to where we are today. That's so right. It's not, it's not complicated <clears throat> in some ways. You know, these are some of the benefits of the internet, where somebody who's really smart or knows a subject very well, they can uh, essentially narrow down and take out all the noise and break down a subject into the most important po- points of that subject so that a regular person can digest it, you know, without having to go to school for so many or read so many books. And you can say, oh, yeah, this is what this is. At the, at the end, Ultimately, here's what we're looking at. You know, here's what's happened. It's not that complicated. And, and now yeah. all of us can hear that. Yeah, and that's that. That's really. I mean, it's it's not a small thing. I mean, that that difference is, is huge. Like, if you compare this to something like the the Iraq War, you know, we we never had the, these images. You know, the only images we had of our you know of our wonderful you know technology missiles were when they were taking off, and we never saw any images of what happened when they landed, except from very far away. And so this thing we're, we're 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 seeing these you know just these these horrible you know just images of what's happening there, what's happening to children and, and just to, to everyone. I mean that that just destroys the the narrative, you know, their narrative of you know oh this is justified and oh you know we have to root them out and whatnot. And that's, that, that, that is huge. I mean, there's, there's never been, and I don't think there's ever been anything like this before. I mean, this is a pretty incredible time in this way and it's galvanizing people and it really has the potential for something big to happen as in really big, important, really unimaginable change I think is possible. Yeah. People see the state of Israel is like, they, they see you, they see the state of Israel as killers. 
you know what I was going to say, Savvy, was that I know, you know, during the George Floyd uh, mass activist protests, uh, I can't remember what you said at the end, you know, after the, the year had passed, but the, like we needed more tangible goals behind that. Uh, right. And, like we needed some sort of actions behind what we were asking for. Demands, uh, yeah. Yeah, demands behind it. You know, one of the things that I always see when I see this now. Just let me, I, just, just let me interrupt you. One thing is yeah. just the, the, the George Floyd one was is another really important one, a, a thing of, of that image of just that just, you know, everybody watched that cop murder George Floyd and you just couldn't not see it. You could not understand it. So these, these types of images and things are, are huge. So sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to no, throw no. that in there. That's fine, Eric. What I was going to share was that one of the things that we must, you know, like whenever we get an opportunity, especially those with louder microphones, uh, like like Cornell or other people like him, or it doesn't have to be Cornell, but what I want to say is that anybody who doubts, you know, what's happening to the Palestinians, just think that this foreign policy, the way that we treat other people of color, it's the same way that we treat people of color here. Just it's maybe the degree is not the same, but at the ultimately the end of the day, like Savvy was saying, you know, where some people spoke the the quiet part aloud when they talked about blue eyes and lighter skin or whatever in Ukraine, uh, and that we were not going to let that happen. I can't, you know, and I remember hearing that on, on one of the clips. The reason that we allow this is because we've been conditioned that these folks of of darker skin that you know that this is in some way acceptable uh, and the powers that be allow it to be uh but that is a reflection of how we care for our own people here what we're doing and allowing this to happen to those people is a reflection of what how we think i'm not saying us here listening to savvy but i'm saying our people that are in power the people that are in power in the country don't care about those people of color across the world. And, and the reason they don't, in part, is because of the, because of the race and, and money and other, other reasons, too. But money and race are a big part of it. And it's the same way that they look at our, our folks here. And if, if, if you can't make that connection, we, you know, we have to get past. More people have to become aware of that. There's a connection between that foreign policy, how we treat people of color, how we view them as less of that comes back home to us. You know, I, I, I believe that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I forget who the gentleman was that made that statement about the blonde hair and blue eyes. But yeah, it, it's very revealing. Some of the people who, um, some of the people who are, could you mute for just a second, Eric? I think there's an echo. Sure. Some of the people who are um, against the Palestinians, like, you know, protecting the, the Palestinian people, but actually were in, you know, screaming out, we have to save the Ukrainian people. It's just, it's very telling. And go ahead, Roger. I think. Oh, uh, Eric, I didn't, um, a kid, I didn't get a chance to address something you had said last week, just a little bit off a subject. Um, when you was talking about how with hip hop, it went from, um, you know, like the KRS-One and X-Clan and all of them to like gangster rap and all that stuff. 
I just wanted to say real quick, that was because of um, the, the CIA and the private prison industrial complex that was getting ready to start. You know about yeah, that? They, yeah, they, they, yeah, there's definitely, you know, I think there's definitely a connection there with. Uh, oh, oh, no, yeah. I mean, actual, the, the actual meeting that, that yeah. happened. I've heard of that. I've heard of that through. I think uh, there's 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 a group. I, I don't know, Savvy, if you remember a group uh, called Bone, Bone Thugs in Harmony. I just put it in the. I just put it in the chat. Check check uh, out that. Okay. Um, check out that YouTube. We'll do. I, I, there's there's a group Bone Thugs in Harmony. This is one of the rappers from that from that group talks about some kind of meeting that he'd gone to and they, they were talking, this is before, you know, how bad yeah, he's, reading, he's reading, right. He's reading from that. What he's reading from is the, I don't know if, if when you read from someone, is that a citation or something? I don't know the, the fancy words for it or whatever. What he was reading was what was the words of the YouTube that I just sent you, but from the actual person mm. that said it. Okay, I, I'll have to read that, but that that's well. He's yeah. he's talking it. He's he's talking it. He's this is like, in other words, I say something on YouTube, and then you read, and then you, as one of the guys from Bone Thugs and Harmony, read what I said on YouTube. Right. You see what I'm saying? That's, this this is yeah, actually yeah. the record executive. That, that that that's exactly yeah. That's that's right. So they 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 had an agenda to, in a sense, take the music, the rap music, in a different direction. And essentially focus it on, I guess, for lack of a better term, gangster rap, and 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 basically the least of of rap. You know, the less it's not necessarily uh, least creative, but just in a, in the direction that was self destructive. You know, rather yeah, yeah, than one much. more critical critical thinking one. So right. So um, KRS, Public Enemy, X Clan, all those guys, they had to go. <laughs> they they got you know like. I, I know this is a this might be blasphemy for millennials, but the '90s was the worst thing that ever happened to hip hop because of that. You have to look at Special Ed had was um, talking about this on um, Drink Champs with Noriega. Yeah, okay. that's right. I'm you sorry. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> Eric. Can you mute? Eric, can you mute for just a second? You have an echo. Okay, go ahead, so, Roger. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Special Ed, he was he was talking about this. I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing, but he was talking about this on Drink Chance with Noriega, and, and you know, he got in some a little a little little uh, uh, tiff, I guess, with some of the guys over there, like Dog Pound and whatever. But he said he, he pretty much he was saying saying that, you know. And I will say this: a lot of us who our Generation X who are from New York, we may not say it out loud, but he pretty much said out loud what we were all thinking about when the West Coast came in and 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 um took over hip hop and went took it in a direction of criminality and using the N word all the time and you know what I mean when we was on a mission of either sixties revolution revolutionary as well as uh, black thought in terms of um, black history uh, things from that at the time it was pan-africanism you know what I mean but um, like a return to, to the homeland type of thing or whatever the case was but no they had to go 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was just like they had to be pushed out. You know what I mean? They back in the 80s, they weren't calling women bitches and hoes. They was saying the ladies, the ladies, you know, all the ladies say how, you know, they they weren't, you know what I'm saying, referring to women like that and so on and so forth. So I just want to address that because I didn't get it. Do I still have an echo, Savvy? Um, I don't think so. It might have been me. Okay. No, no worries. No, yeah, Roger's correct. I mean, uh, the music, uh, and I can't remember what show I was listening to, but there was something that I saw a couple of days ago. It might have been the day before, and how music is so powerful because it, it transcends, you know, many things. You know, like you can like somebody – it's music and they can make you think about things, right? And they can make you, they can help you to be creative. They can help you to be destructive, you know, depending what music you're listening to. And uh, certainly, you know, music and art do have a place. Uh, sometimes it's, we don't immediately connect it to what's happening, but it does have, have a connection with general, uh, with, with the popular uh, scenery that's going on in the world at that time. And even at, even, you know, going back to the 60s, and I wasn't alive then, but, you know, just reading about JFK, and I really love some of the movies from from, uh, from Vietnam, like Platoon, and uh, a few of the other movies that are kind of more honest about, you know, what happens in war. But I, I do know that, you know, from, from reading and, and, and learning about Vietnam, that it was through Vietnam that everything changed as far as the way that the CIA the powers that be and then how they work with the mainstream media that they would allow or not allow the, the, the imagery that would come after Vietnam because it was during Vietnam that you could still see images of, of people getting killed. Albeit there were not videos, there were photographs, but there, were, there was a bombardment of those images coming across from that war. And it wasn't until after that war that, that everything started to change and everything started to be more controlled by the mainstream media working with the, you know, with the three letter uh, organizations from, from, from the state that they were not going to allow us to see what was going on. They were going to control everything, whether it was in Iraq or uh, Desert Storm before that. Uh, they, were, they were controlling everything that we were going to see. And, and so then we couldn't really understand what was going on. And we didn't know what was going on in Iraq, even, you know, for, for many years, it took a while for us to really understand maybe a year uh, how we had Instagram, how we had what we have today. Iraq might have not gotten as bad as it got because we would have seen how, you know, how unjustified it was. And we would have been able to, you know, have breakthroughs like we're having with Palestine right now. Very good points, Eric. Anything else I want to. Make sure I give uh, other people a chance. No, no, no. I'll give somebody else a chance. Thank you, Savvy. All right. Okay. Let's bring in uh, John. John Freed, you are on the mic. Okay, cool. Hey, Savvy. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Cool. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to talk about, I can't remember the Israeli woman's name, but she was speaking about how the Jews in America needed to support Israel. And then she was talking about like this kind of where's Waldo, like Israel's just like a tiny little place. And I'm just like, are you kidding? Like the, 
the land that is Palestine that then got colonized by the modern state of Israel and Egypt is right there at the Red Sea and then the Suez Canal. So it's not like just some place in the middle of nowhere. It's like the hinge point, um, like the first Greek empire conquered that area, the Roman empire conquered that area, the British empire conquered that area. And it's all about the controlling the trade between the Indian Ocean and the Mediterranean. And the Roman Empire, actually, like, their major trade was uh, by sea. It wasn't by land. It was by sea. So to say that it's just some tiny place in the middle of nowhere is, like, totally false. And this feeling, like, of course, the the Holocaust was horrific. And, yes, we could argue that the Jews needed a homeland. But, oh, it just happens to be that the British and the U.S., want to maintain control of that area because they want the oil, they want to control the trade. So to me, it's like the elephant in the room is the imperialism behind that territory. So I feel like they should have picked another place. Like the they've already gone through all this trauma and then they're thrown right in the middle of this place where it's just, it's designed to be, have conflict all the time. So I feel like that's, that's like the elephant in the room that it's like the, the idea of like, Oh, it's just some tiny place in the middle of nowhere is, is like completely false. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, the resources like that part, that piece of it is very important because obviously they would not be doing all this if there wasn't something to gain in return from it. Right. And yeah. right, that is another piece of imperialism, which I think that we have to focus on more, right? Like, I think that we, we do have to focus on that more. And to me, it's just kind of like, I don't know. For me, it's just, it's it's kind of like, I wish more people brought that up at least, right? I wish more people would talk about that. Now, some people are paid not to, but I, I just don't hear them like, especially even like on mainstream media, I don't hear them talking about that part of it that you just mentioned. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, that's where indoctrinated, like our education system, it's like you learn about the Odyssey and the Iliad and then um like ancient history is about the Greeks and the Romans. And it's like, we're just stuck in this view of history. That's totally like based on the Greco Roman world. We don't have like a history that like talks about completely other different societies and cultures. So it's like, we're trapped in this echo chamber of like only seeing the world through like a Western Greco Roman Imperial like view. So yeah, it's just like this, this historical amnesia or like, just this constant keeping us stuck in one way of seeing things. Right, right. But I, I will say I'm, I'm glad that more people are starting to branch out and look for alter, um, alternative sources because I, I think mainstream media has done just such a terrible job at this that like <clears throat> it just, I don't know, like they, they've just done like the, 
they've they've done such a terrible job and i'm talking about let's start let's go back and start with october 7th itself and think about how many things they got wrong and some of it was on purpose don't get me wrong but i mean like just all the times that they had to come back and debunk like it just i don't know to me to me it's just very telling yeah and then another thing is i'm i'm buddhist and for me it's like i try not to look at labels i try to look at actual behavior so like throwing the label terrorists onto hamas as opposed to just looking at the behavior of killing and who has the higher kill count and like i feel like that's the trick they try to play on everyone is they try to throw a label on something and get you riled up about it as opposed to just looking at what is the actual number of people that have been killed who's done the most and again looking historically who's done the most so i feel like we just need a more clear focus on just actual behavior itself and not not getting caught up in the labels that they try to like yeah distract us with or rile us up about i agree i agree yeah and and having us focus on what's interesting to me is notice how whenever we bring up the genocide or actually it's an interview and someone brings up the genocide notice how the the opposing view always goes oh but this brutal attack on october 7th and it's like you can't even compare the numbers when it comes to the casualties there's no comparison to what started out as they said 1400 people then they retracted and said 1200 people because they admitted that the idf that israel killed some of their own people so you know it, it just it's it's just very I, I don't know man it's just so damning i think yeah i think it's um important to, to really look at these system look at these things systemically into it you know dig down and in, into the root causes and you know to me if you dig and you and you dig and you dig i i feel like you come down to this root cause of there's basically two sets of interests in the, in this world and just in a really you know broad broad way there's the interest of the ultra wealthy top 0.1 percent who have this you know enormous wealth and power and they have a certain set of interests which are to to keep the gravy train rolling and to increase their wealth and, and at all costs. Of course, they're, you know, the ones that really at the top are completely sociopathic and we'll just, we'll just keep on. And then there's the interests of the 99%, you know, the rest of us. And I, I feel like, you know, if you, if you start at that point and, and look at the money, I, I think, I think it brings a lot of clarity, you know, so, so something like, you know, is Israel, um, got you know palestine israel gaza you know it's a resource war like all the wars are and you have you know the the settler colonialists the you know the 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 israelis who want all the land all the resources and they're pushing out the you know the native population and you know you look at their backers you know the the u.s and the at this point, the U.S. government and why, you know, why, why does the U.S. government back them? 
well, at this point, we have a government that doesn't represent us. Right? Who do they represent? They represent the people that pay them, you know, that top 0.1% billionaire class. And so to me, like trying to figure out a solution and trying to fix Palestine by just looking at Palestine, you, you're never going to get there because any solution you get is just going to be bigfooted by, <laughs> by the whole systemic issue. And so that's why I always come back to this core issue of you're going to have to deal with the money. You know, we, we getting our government to represent us, the 99% is not only the solution to these things, you know, at large, it's also a matter of survival. And so I guess that, that that's my frustration sometimes is that people don't connect these dots and go back to this, to the systemic problem. And I think until we get serious about doing that, we're just going to keep running around frustrated. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I noticed like there, there's just a general style of like, whenever there's an exchange, like the interview that you showed with Cornell West and the other people, there's just this like effort to dominate, speak over somebody else, like stir up a lot of thoughts and emotions, avoid talking about behavior. And it's just like this constant, like try to get everybody upset. And then as soon as anyone says something you don't like, just try to talk over them or dominate them. And it's, it's just, it's getting very old. <laughs> like, it's, it, it, yeah. Most people wouldn't have their job in act this way. Right. Yeah. That's who owns the media at this point? It's that same class of people. I also, I actually don't enjoy when people talk over each other as well. Like I really, those debates are bothersome to me because I'm like, I can't hear what's being said. Please let one person speak at a time. <laughs> I feel like it needs to be like a 12 step meeting. Like you have two minutes and then, you know, someone will knock when you have one minute, like three minutes total. And like, just take turns, have a timer, you know? Right, but they don't want you to hear. They want you to feel. Right. They right. Want you to, to go along with the narrative. Yeah, yeah. All right, anyway, thank you very much. I've enjoyed uh, talking with you. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right, let's bring in uh, Marco. Uh, sure, I see you came back in. I'll come back to you after Marco because I think you got, um, I think you accidentally got, well, booted from the queue. Why isn't it letting me bring on Marco? Let's see. Yeah. Do you want to make me a moderator to see if yeah. I can do anything? Okay, see if you can, we'll let you add Marco to the queue. Hey, yeah, it seems like right. me more than you right now. <laughs> hey, What's up, Marco? All days, y'all. Hey, how are you? Good. Um, I was thinking a lot about your segment on China and uh, Xi Jinping, and uh, I think you should get Danny Haifang on the show again because I've learned so much from him about China, and you know, it's they're um, you know they're a fucking socialist democracy, <laughs> you know. Um, they vote for the party, like in how in Britain, you know, like um, uh, what was his name? Jeremy Corbyn, you know, people weren't voting for Jeremy Corbyn. They voted for Labour. And in, in China, the Communist Party keeps winning because they're fucking based and they're good to their people. You know, so I, I think it'd be really cool to hear him. 
I also would love to hear you, Danny, and Norm Finkelstein all having beers together. I would, I would love to hear that. Oh man, that would be fun, huh? No filter, Norm would be having a couple <laughs> drinks. <laughs> He's just, you know, I've been loving him lately. He's been really great. <laughs> oh man, Norm would be—he would be something else because, um, um. He's funny and yeah, I I would love to bring uh Danny back on. I know Danny's really busy right now. Um so yeah. I try not to I try not to reach out to him too much to invite him on just cuz I know he's super swamped. Um but I did get a chance to talk to Danny in person like when I was in New York recently. So um yeah, Danny's pretty cool. Yeah, I guess that was that was all my comments like, you know, China's a democracy. They vote their elections are not rigged. You know, I mean, it's like they have the same as the United States, but they have, you know, 1.4 billion people and we have 0.3 billion people. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's it, honestly like the more I learn about China, the more I love China. I mean, like knowing the history, I mean, there's even a KMT party. Uh, uh, there's a camp, there's a section of the KMT who are like, you know, the enemies of, of, of the uh, Communist Chinese Party. And there's a section of the KMT that are allowed to, that are pro-communist and they're allowed to be one of the parties. They just don't win elections. There's like seven parties. I mean, uh, and also knowing the history of how like, you know, Germany had them in their sights as like settler colonialism. Like Germany wanted to do to China what Israel did to Palestine. And China knew this. And who helped China against the onslaught of the Japanese and the West? Russia. And to this day, they're still friends. And it's great. And I'm loving that they're starting to rule the 21st century. And I, I'm, I hate America. But yeah, okay, I'm done. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, Ashura, I invited you to speak as a speaker. Um, do you have to accept the invite or, okay, there you go. All right, go ahead and share. And then I'll, I'll circle back around to Dr. Nick. I got this, uh, clip I was watching. <clears throat> it was, uh, it was like uh, one of the people that spoke, uh, that's the, one of the political heads of Hamas. The, the same... He was talking to a, rep a reporter and he didn't cut him off. He let him speak. And the title is from TRT, TRT World Now, and the title is Why Did Hamas Attack Israel on October 7th? And he brought up the fact that he noticed that people were not talking about Palestine. It was going away. And that Hamas, their goal was to get people to talk about the Palestinian, the Palestinian people. So the part I'm going to make you hear is the part where the interviewer is going to ask him, does he think that there is a chance of peace between Israel, the return of the PLO, and other Arab countries without Hamas in there. So uh, I've okay. got stopped on the on the thing. So you're gonna hear him talk, and he's he's gonna be very based where he's he's not, he's not buying that bullshit. But the interviewer doesn't seem like he's a guy that wants to you know punch him over the head or something. Israeli arrangements, uh, as it was uh, uh, suggested, we have tried the uh, short-time pauses 
It didn't work. The Israelis provoked the Palestinian resistance every time. Uh, and it seems to us that Israel is not willing to make an end for the Israeli attack without a complete arrangement. So we are clear in this position and we have an, uh, uh, informed everyone who is in charge about this uh, position. In terms of the future, what much of the world is watching and hearing is the Americans and the Israelis believing that they are going to make the decision about how Gaza is governed in the future. And both of those parties, and clearly we understand, Mr. Hamdan, that the Americans are protecting the Israelis on the international stage. But both of those countries are saying that your group, Hamas, can't be involved in the future governance of Gaza. Whatever happens now, however long this lasts, you and I know that life will go on that Gaza eventually will have to find some kind of balance to live either as a part of a two-state solution or currently as, let's say, occupied territory living next to the state of Israel. But the question is, for the future governance of Gaza, can you, Hamas, see yourself working with, for example, the Palestinian Authority? Watch what he says right here. Well, uh, we have a clear position and stand. We have declared from the first day that the future of the Palestinians, including Gaza, is supposed to be determined by the Palestinians. The Palestinians who can decide about their future without any involvement of the Americans and the Israelis. And if any Palestinian believes that he can be the leader of the Palestinians by the support of the Israelis or the Americans, he puts himself in a position as a betrayer for his own people. Uh, so our suggestion and our belief every time that the leadership is supposed to be elected by the Palestinian people themselves. Uh, so I'm stopping it right there. So he he's not buying that shit. Who is that speaking with her? It was the uh, one of the political heads of Hamas. I've seen him around a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a very important point there about who has the power, right? That the real issue here is that the Palestinians don't have the power of self-determination. So acting like anything is their fault is is bogus. Yeah, it's the fact that they said, "Well, what, what are you uh, are you going to let the U.S., the Israelis, they'll let you, they'll they'll watch as you guys govern yourself?" He's like, "No, we, we no, it has to be by us. We don't need no fucking somebody watching us. We don't need the Israelis." getting involved we don't need the americans involved and he said that when he brought up the plo it's like this guy but well, it's true that the plo from what i've heard about them they're basically the bitch of the, the, the israelis they basically do what they want they've i've heard that their people have been beaten right under their authority with the idf they don't do shit and this guy's like no no we don't need the plo the plo are basically fucking traitors they're not palestinians yeah. I mean, the real um, problem here is that, is that there's really no one stand, no one who's who's promoting that's or enforcing, I don't know what the right word for it is, but it is making it so that the Palestinians have justice and, and rights, you know, just in and of themselves. That's, that's the problem. They are, they are an occupied colonized people. And until that changes, you know, the rest of this is just silly talk. I mean, that has to be change number one. 
Yeah, the other thing is too, I think we, we definitely have to continue to push back on the narrative when people like Pierce Morgan says, but do you condemn Hamas? It's it's not about condemning Hamas. It's not about uh, condemning, like support. It's not about, do you condemn Hamas? Do you support Israel? It's about, do you support the right for Palestinian people to have self-determination for the people to be free and unoccupied. That's what you turn it back around to. Because the whole, the statement, do you condemn Hamas? That's just a distraction to distract you away from the issue that the Palestinian people are dealing with in Gaza and in the West Bank. And that's why I continue to add the West Bank to that. Because although Hamas is not in the West Bank, the same thing that happened to the Palestinian people that were pushing to Gaza is happening to Palestinian people in the West Bank right now. So the thing is, the solution is the freedom of the Palestinian people. You have to remove the occupation. You have to remove the oppression. So the thing is, we have to push back when uh, people say that. We, we have to push back when people use those those uh, those types of statements and that's why they keep saying that that's why they keep saying do you condemn hamas because then it's like if you say no then they'll say well you support a terrorist organization if you say yes then they'll say oh well then you you support uh israel it's not that's not what it's about it's about freeing the palestinian people so you always have to bring it back to that that's why if you guys notice, that's why Pierce Morgan and other hosts keep saying, but do you condemn Hamas? This is the problem I've had when people come on the, sh uh, on the show of Pierce Morgan. They always fell for his fucking trap where they have to say what he wants. And I didn't see the Cornell West bit. I was basically talking to my stepdad since I'm at, I'm at that place right now uh, for holidays. So uh, did Cornell West agree to the bullshit of condemning Hamas, and he did. He also did the Israel thing, both sides it? No, I don't think so. But again, I, I think I, I think you're you're looking at this the, the way that I just said not to look at it. It's not about whether or not you condemn Hamas or you support Israel. It's about do you support the self-determination and the freedom of the Palestinian people? No, I understand what you said. I'm just saying, every time you, you go on Pierce Morgan, you either have to do it both ways for him. Well, either one way or both. I've seen people use both in order to get Pierce Morgan off, off their backs. I think Kona West did a good job of, of kind of framing things, you know, the way we frame them here. And, um, and, you know, in, in terms of that, you know, there's a whole history of it. And, you know, I, I think in, in general, he does a really good job on this issue from what I've seen. Yeah, because Jake uh, Uger came on, he did the same thing. He condemned Hamas and then he condemned, he condemned the Palestinians because Pierce Morgan said, if you don't condemn Hamas, he's not going to take you seriously. The only person I know that didn't bite into his bullshit was uh, Normal Finkelstein, and he was allowed back because he said, if you don't if you don't condemn Hamas, I don't take you seriously and you're not coming back on my show. I don't think he said it this time. Eric, you'll have to remind me. I don't think Pierce got it. the pro with this particular segment. He's on to a different nonsense this time. <laughs> yeah, for this particular segment, 
he was like, we ran out of time. That's what Pierce Morgan said. Cause like the other guy after Cornell West did his uh, second bit, when the other guy was about to respond, Pierce Morgan said, uh, we're running out of time. Yeah. So Cornell was basically clobbering him because <laughs> I know that that's what he does. He basically has these ultra conservatives on and they, he lets them rant for, uh, for minutes on end. And it becomes like this big brouhaha, so you can't tell who's doing what. But you're listening or listening more to the conservative voice than the other guy's voice. And the other guy basically wants to dominate. It's like the thing what he had with Brianna Joy Gray, when she 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 didn't basically raise her voice, she just ham calmly hammered him uh uh that fucking racist piece of shit with just facts, and he was like, You're dominating the con you're dominating the conversation. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? She she didn't raise her voice, no nothing. She's just calm. You just don't have any facts to back it up. One of the things that's been, you know, that, that I've been noticing is that there's been, you know, it, the corporate media certainly has been anything but a monolith on all this. I mean, we've actually had a good deal of, of reporting on really all the networks about what the atrocities that, that the Israeli government has been committing since October 7th. And, and I, I, I only see like Piers Morgan in these clips, but even in these clips, I, I feel like he's, he's kind of put his finger up in the air and kind of felt a bit of shift in the wind. And, and he's been kind of playing the other side, you know, they, it's, you know, it, it's not, it's not what it should be or, you know, or what, how we would do it, but it's kind of like, you know, they're playing this game of, you know, well, isn't, you know, isn't Israel doing too much and, you know, so there's, there's, there's things happening. Like it's not a, it's not a straight up simple, simple thing that's happening even in corporate media. I hope you're not buying that bullshit that he feels for the Palestinian people, because I've noticed he does this all the fucking time. He pretends he gives a fuck about the Palestinian people, but then he, he always goes back to that Israel shit and people are saying like, nah, man, he's a, He's scum. He's basically, he's a snake. He's, he's talking both sides of his mouth. I've watched multiple Muslim channels that basically say they, they call him out. Uh, I mean, it, it's hard to tell what's in someone's heart, but, but, but the important thing is what's, you know, what's being presented and, you know, there is, you know, the story is getting out. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's a big deal. I mean, that's, to me, that's the important thing is what you know what's happening to civilians in gaza you know everybody knows it everybody sees it you know it's it's on every network and that's that's a big deal <laughs> you know that's why biden's poll numbers are garbage that's why you know we, we have things happening with third parties and and it's even why trump is doing well in the polls as a connection there it's just you know, everybody sees what 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 this incredible shit show, this horrific thing that's happening. You know, it's, so I was going to say everybody sees it. Yeah, you also have to remember. Always ask yourself who owns the host. So who owns Pierce Morgan? Pierce Morgan is on talk TV when he's having these discussions. That is owned by Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch is a Zionist. He's also a billionaire. He also owns Fox News. So that's who that's who Pierce Morgan works for. So Rupert Murdoch is only going to let so much rhetoric go by from Pierce if he wants to keep that. I mean, it's interesting how much is getting out, though. You know, isn't it something? Well, I mean, you would think no that choice. they would just clamp down on it completely. But 
they they're not they can't i mean it's just too much i don't i'm not even sure of the reason but you know it's the the narrative isn't being controlled so well anymore you know the reason eric they can't do it they can't put the genie back in the bottle anymore or or back in the lamp <sighs> you, you rub the lamp too much the genie's out yeah like, because, no, because the problem is the problem is hmm. independent media and i don't mean like myself i'm one of the smaller platforms i'm talking about the independent media that is on other platforms that's not on YouTube or Rumble or any of that. I'm talking about the information that is being released on Twitter. The yeah. investigative journalists that are in Gaza and and also actually Al Jazeera. But remember, Al Jazeera is not just a YouTube channel. Al Jazeera is a whole thing. They have like a, a press release. They or excuse me, they have print publication. They have website. Like they're not just a YouTube channel. So yeah. the thing is, is that the information coming out of Gaza is overwhelming the mainstream media narrative, so they have no choice but to let some of it get out. Well, that's not just that, Sabrina. Remember, they were shaming uh, the other people, calling them anti-Semites, all that bullshit, <laughs> without knowing the actual definition of anti-Semite, without knowing that those Palestinians are, are Semites themselves, and then they called Jews anti-Semites. So that galvanized more, more help for the Palestinians. And then more protests, so they couldn't drown them out. That forced their hands. One of the things there, there's a someone Martin said in the chat: Israel has committed suicide. There is no amount of propaganda that can save save it now. And that re reminds me that there was a um, a Chris Hedges article um, a number of days ago, but it was, I think he called it basically the death of Israel. And in what he laid out there, I'd, I'd recommend looking it up. It, it was um, just what he laid out there is that just Israel as as a functioning liberal democracy is over because because you can't have a country function that way now. It's basically going to have to become more and more fa basically fascist and basically locked down. And so this idea of Israel being, you know, the shining star of Western democracy in the Middle East is over. And I thought it was, you know, of course, he, you know, has a, a really, you know, he's an incredible writer and speaker and just, you know, just the way he framed it and put it was quite stark and quite, quite something. So I recommend looking that up with uh, Chris Hedges. Well, yeah, because there's a part about the Gaza thing. I'm, I'm, I'm being normal fickle a bit where I've probably think Gaza is done. And because you saw that thing with the RDF where they put out the, what they did to Gaza, they flattened it. I'm like. How do you rebuild? How do you go back to what? There's, There's so many there. people in there, though. It's literally millions. So it's it's unimaginable. Yeah, I you know it's just frightening to imagine what's going to happen there. It's yeah, because yeah, I'm like oh, they, they, they've taken that land, so I I guess they're gonna the Muslim countries are gonna basically uh give in. There's a point well, I wrote. In the well, chat. no, they're gonna have to worry about Iran now, because see, when they killed that that general, they killed um. Uh, Saeed, when they killed him, that that's a top commanding uh, advisor for the Iranian, you know, group. That that guy is not like just some regular like soldier for the Iranian military. That is a top advisor, and that's why Iran responded and they said, "Expect the countdown." But that's exactly what Israel wanted. They want Iran to fight back so that they can go back to the United States and push the United States into a war with Iran. This is exactly what they want. 
they want all of it gone. That's what I'm trying to explain to people. It's not just about Gaza. And then it doesn't help that you got Netanyahu, who is a right wing racist. And you have Joe Biden. You know, Joe Biden doesn't have a a leg to stand on right now saying we got to stop right wing extremism in the United States. When you sitting up here back in a right wing uh, prime minister financially in another country and Netanyahu, if we want to keep it real, Netanyahu is worse than Donald Trump. So we, we that that's a whole nother ball game. So you really can't people looking at you some kind of way. You're going to sit up there and tell people not to support Donald Trump because it'll be the end of democracy. And he's right wing and far right and yada, yada. But you supporting you're supporting another right wing uh, leader in another country financially. So you, Joe Biden does not have a fucking leg to stand on. And honestly, anybody like it. it if Joe Biden makes it to the debates, if they decide to keep him in till that point, if I was Donald Trump, I'd hit him where it hurts. I'd hit him there and be like, how are you going to push back against right wing extremism and you funding a right wing prime minister in Israel? Well, to be fair, like right, uh, Netanyahu is American, so he's not technically that much of a foreign prime minister, but I get what you're saying. It's like what I was telling this uh, woman that basically was trashing you online before she blocked me. Uh, she tried to bring up that uh, Palestine, Palestinians are are being paid by uh, Qatar, but I was watching Jimmy, and basically he said that, yeah, Qatar does give them money, but where do you think the money comes from first? It just goes to Qatar's hand. Israel is paying Qatar to pay Hamas. To pay for that's everything right. Hamas. That's right. But that's an RFK. I'm sorry that I know who you're talking about. That's an RFK supporter. I've stopped. I have ignored this woman for months. I don't know why she. It's not the same woman. It was. She used to be a. uh, I don't know. She watches New Dissidents, but she used to. She used to be a New Dissidents supporter. I know who she. I know who she is. I know who all of them are. But the thing is, is like I've been ignoring her for months. I don't know why this woman continues to respond to my posts because I ignored her. I ignore her every time. Every time. And the, I'm sorry. Look, let's start with a C, by the way, her name. Yes. Support, support who you want to support. Okay. The thing is, is this, some of the RFK like stands are like the simps for RFK who won't admit yeah. that he's doing anything wrong. Some of these people are like obsessed. Like they think this man is like the second coming. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I've gotten to arguments with some of them in DM groups. One of them actually told me, that they didn't care about Palestinian people. This was before this war started. They didn't care about Palestinian people. They try to like, you know, make all these excuses. And they said, well, my concern is about the border and and Bobby Kennedy's gonna protect our border and da da da. They come to find out they voted for Trump. I'm like, man, get the fuck out of here, man. And that's the thing what some people don't understand. Some of those people that are supporting RFK voted for Donald Trump. Because when I was talking to her, she's like, oh, uh, I, I, can, I hate Hamas. I condemn Hamas. Hamas basically attacked Israel. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought you said you were a lefty. Said, oh, yes, I'm a lefty. I'm anti-war. Then why you fucking support uh, the other side that's basically bombing the shit out of Palestinians? Oh, because I hate Hamas. I'm like, then don't pick a fucking side then. And then she was like, well, whose side are you on? I'm like, I'm on the side of your press. What the fuck are you talking about? You can't be anti-war if you're basically shitting Hamas, but then praising Israel. They don't want to hear about those words. They don't want to hear those words oppressed and stuff like that, though, because the reality is they just don't. They they really don't 
want to hear about it because some of these people, some of them, and no shade, but some of them are right wing. And the only reason some of them are supporting RFK is because of his stance on COVID. And they'll tell you, they'll tell you this shit. So my whole thing is, is like, okay, so everybody else supposed to suffer and struggle because, because of this stuff? Uh, as for, uh, what's his name? Uh, Talcum X. I didn't know. <laughs> I thought that Talcum X part of his name came from some people mocking him because he think he was, he's black. So he's like Malcolm X. I thought that was the part about the Talcum part. And then Zombie in the Air told me, look up Talcum Powder. So I looked that shit up. I'm like, Sabrina, I'm not shitting you. That shit looks like kryptonite. I'm like, oh, are you going to tell me that, that, that Sean King is Superman? <laughs> well, it, they gave him that nickname because people were saying that he's actually white. Like talcum powder. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, 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 but I'm like, the talcum powder looks like fucking kryptonite, Roger. I'm like, don't, don't and Sumo tell me he's Clark Kent. Talcum powder is green? I thought it was white. No, it's green. I looked it on Wikipedia. It, it looks like a fucking crystallized kryptonite. No, talcum powder is the powder that... Hold on. Well, it said the powder, but I'm looking at the substance. It looks like a green kryptonite. They're talking about the talcum powder. Which is like, that's what Johnson & Johnson were sued over, by the way. They were yeah, sued. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I saw that why. part. But when I clicked on the Wikipedia page, they gave me the image of what it looked like. Not the powder part, but the crystallized part. Yeah, but when people say that, they're talking about the powder. Go ahead, Noel. I was just going to say, um, Ashuri, you're reading too much into the metaphor. Um, they're talking about the skin color, the white thing. It's not that deep. You're putting too much into it. Mm. Barely he does. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with Michael Rappaport. What's he doing all the way in Israel celebrating, quote, Christmas as they're bombing the shit out of Palestinians? It's like he went over there just to piss people off. Maybe it's because I really do think this guy got a problem. Like I told you guys, I have not seen Michael Rappaport in any movies or shows in quite some time. And I think this is like his next claim to being relevant. Actually, he was just in um, the show in season two of only murders in the building. Never heard of it. It's on Hulu. It's uh, Steve Martin and Martin short and Selena Gomez. I told you you should watch it the other day. But what's funny is, as per, it seems like all his roles, he plays a complete asshole. Yep. And, and, he, and he gets his comeuppance. So, like, so maybe this whole thing is just a role. Maybe it's all performance art. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, bro, what, why are you all the way in Israel? Man? The country you got privileged to go all the way to Israel where nobody else can. Not even Max Blumenthal can go to Israel right now. Well, if you notice, um, he might be the replacement. Because has anybody noticed that Harry Sisson and his boy are gone? So maybe he is no. the replacement. Well, they're gone. No, I thought they just oh, I... no, because he's not. Because he made another video saying he might vote for Trump. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was months ago. That was months ago. He said he would do it. Hold up. The guy who was out here telling us to vote for Biden, the uh, Harry Michael Sisson Rappaport. guy. No, no, no Michael, Michael Rappaport. Rappaport. Oh, 
Michael Rappaport oh. said that he may vote yes, for Donald he Trump. Yeah, right, he did. Right, right, he was right. like, what the fuck? Yeah, and, and, as just... for the, and as for the China bit, Sabrina, like, why do they care what China does with Taiwan? I'm pretty sure somebody told me that the history between Taiwan, because I always find it weird that people say it's the it, it's part of China, but then they have their own president. And I'm like, well, what the hell happened for it to be cut and like to be separated from the mainland? And somebody brought it with like the, the Japanese was the reason for it. But then you got the Israel part where they got their own president. It was Mahmoud Abbas, but I thought it was two countries, but it turns out it's just one country. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Why they allow a occupied state to have their own president if they don't want a two-state solution? It's well, a chip. Oh, sorry. Taiwan, you'll have to go back and watch the interview I did with Danny Haifong, the, the last one I did with him, because we talked about this and he gave a lot of detail about it. Um, but Taiwan, basically, I guess it got to the point where they wanted some type of independence, right? So, but the thing is, the one China policy was established quite some time ago, which apparently Taiwan was in agreement with at that point in time. And the United States government has basically decided to back Taiwan. They consider Taiwan to be, I guess, another ally. Um, but Dan, if you'll have to watch that interview I did with Danny because he went into a lot of detail to explain how it became that way. It's also yeah. um, Nvidia got got investments in uh, Taiwan, I believe, chips, silicon, you know, semiconductors. Mm -hmm. It's always resources. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of like a high end kind of semiconductor manufacturing happening there in Taiwan. But I think it, it you know, it, it's all always, it goes back to the money and the resources and, and this stuff about Taiwan is, you know, it was a way to push against China, to put pressure on them. And, you know, and, and all these war pressures, you know, boost up the defense contracts and it's more money for defense contractors and the billionaires that owe, that, that owe them. And it's always back to, you know, if it's something that increases their profits, especially for the current quarter, then it's pushed, you know, so yeah. I think it goes back to that. Um, yeah. Have they still not given any type of medical uh, equipment? Well, not even medical equipment, like medicine to the hospitals. What were the tents that are probably makeshift tents that are being made down there? Because I saw a clip of a kid that was getting um, his cuts sutured and he had to repeat the Quran in order to make that like some form of anesthetic so that were you he, talking uh, about Gaza? Yeah, in Gaza, right? Because it was on Al Jazeera's clip where some kid, well, not so Al Jazeera, it was some woman's clip where she showed like they got no medicine to basically give the people so that they don't feel a pain because they're trying to, you know, they're trying to close the, the 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 cut on their skin. So one kid has got he's got a cut right near the eye, so he had to recite the Quran in a way to stop himself from feeling pain. From what I saw, they, they ran out of anesthesia at some point. Um, so that's another issue that's happening there. Um, they did show, I saw another video again, I can't show this on YouTube, obviously, but um, there was another video that I saw where they were trying to perform surgical procedures on people without the anesthesia because they, yeah. you know, they bombed the hospitals. Yeah, that's the, that's the disgusting part. Like there, there's a there's a video. I don't know if you ever saw it, 
uh, on the Al Jazeera channel, there was a, ch- a, a, a girl, and Max talked about this when he was on the Dean, the Dean something show that forgot what the way it was called. And he talked about a young girl. And I remember seeing this video on Al Jazeera, this young girl that talked about how she lost her leg because is the, the Palestinians, not the Palestinians, the uh, Israelis bombed the house and she got pulled out by her uncle, but the uncle, I think he died too. But then she lost her leg and be, uh, no, no, that, no, that's a, that's somebody else. Okay, but this one basically, she said, remember this one. This one basically said she lost her leg. They chopped it up. She said, "I'm going to be a doctor regardless if you if, if I lose my leg because that was my dream." Apparently, uh, Max Boom. As I was watching this Max Boomenthal interview with Dean, uh, Max Boomenthal said that they they killed this girl. I wouldn't be surprised. Hospital. It wasn't that long ago when I saw that video where she says, yeah. well, it doesn't matter if you blow my leg off, I'm going to be a doctor, and they fucking took her life. Yeah, well, she was in the hospital recuperating, and then an Israeli tank shot at the hospital and blew out the wall right where, where she was and killed her. And that, that's what Max reported. Yeah, that that shit made no sense. Yeah, it, it's just yeah, it's unimaginable. I mean, it it's it's horrific beyond all imagination, and it's almost like part of how they get away with it is that it's just too horrible to look at and and take in and and keep your gaze on. Because that shit gets me so fucking mad. I ask myself, why are they letting them get away with it? Why is the UN not doing shit? Why is the whole world being silent? The politicians, some politicians speak out, but the other politicians, they want to do shit about it. And some people say it's that guilt. What happened to the to to the to the, the European Jews over there? No. So now they got. No, it's it's money, Ashura. It's yep. it. You have to follow the money again. When Ralph Nader said that APAC owns like over four hundred members of Congress, that's true because the majority of them take money from the Israeli lobby. It's not just APAC. It's also J Street. It's also um. Elliott management, like there's different ones. Uh, and that's why, like, that's the thing. This is why I keep telling people, you know, we can talk all day about the things that are happening, but you have to follow the money trail to understand why these things are happening the way that they are. I'm just talking for more in Europe terms, not the U S just for Europe itself. Because they got more more bodies than the United States does. Right. But they're also, if they're a part of NATO, that's one problem. And then also, if they're an ally of the United States, they follow what the U.S. does. This is another problem where I do feel like Macron was right when he said that the European countries need to start looking towards what's best for them and possibly being a third world power. Why should they always follow the West? When I was on a George Galloway show, one of the things that he said to me is that the UK always follows the lead of the United States. So this is another thing, and maybe we'll see changes at some point. I don't know, but this is another reason why I've, I've said this before. When we talk about allyship, when what is the red line for being an ally? Because if you're an ally with another country and they're doing things or they're actually, they're basically contributing to the disaster that's happening to the Palestinian people in Gaza, what's the red line for you to say, okay, I know we're allies, but you're wrong about this and I'm not gonna back you or support you on this decision. What is the fine line? So those countries that are allies with the US, at some point they need to draw a a line in the sand. 
So I'm going to say this last part, and then I'm going to mute myself. Um, as for when this thing started, a lot of these Arab countries said that uh, uh, no more killings of Palestine, Palestinians. If you kill one more Palestinian, this will be our red line. We're going to come in there, and we're going to stop it. Uh, Jordan hasn't done shit. Yemen has basically, he they have come out. You got Iran, but the rest of them are like, you're going to let this shit happen? And only Iran and, and Yemen are the only ones saying we're going to do shit. Yeah, there's Saudi Arabia, but Saudi Arabia, I can't trust them. Like, they could just tomorrow just change hands right there. What do you what do you expect them to do, though? You would think that they would basically threaten Israel, that if they do one more thing, they'll go in there. That's basically what I expect them to basically do, threaten them. The thing is, we'll nuke them. I mean, this is this is what I wanted to say about Iran. I mean, Iran has to seriously worry about getting nuked out of existence. I mean, that that is a true and present risk for them. And I, I think it has an influence on their behavior and in, in their foreign policy. You know, whereas the U.S., you know, there, there's the end of the world, mutual assured destruction, but... U.S. doesn't really have to worry about getting attacked other than World War III end of the world. There is that concern, but it's a very different ballgame if you don't have nukes. So don't they all have it, Eric? Don't they all have nukes, the Arab countries? No. No. Okay. No, I mean, Israel even, you know, they, they have some. It's, you know, and... But you know the, the real the real capability is is in the United States, in China, and Russia. I mean, those three countries can point to any place on the globe and wipe it off with with nuclear weapons, just gone. The everyone else has to be afraid of that. I, I think that's the reality of the situation. But the reality is, you know, if any of these nations who are nuclear capable launch a nuclear attack, that changes the entire way of living for everybody. Because that energy eventually ends up in the atmosphere. It moves with the jet streams and, you know, it gets into the water. And we know the contaminants that happen. And the reality is, if any of these quote-unquote superpowers or nuclear-armed nation-states use nuclear weapons, I can't imagine that it is not going to trigger a response from the other nuclear-armed nations. Right. Because it's one thing to be a threat, but when you make that threat a reality, and the reality is... Generally speaking, all of the nations on the planet are somehow in an alignment with one group or another. And so if you, you know, Israel really does launch a nuclear attack against Iran, you know, eventually Russia, China and North Korea are going to there's going to be a response. And so it is really a slippery slope. And I just believe now we're in that space where, you know, there is a a real absence of leadership and a real absence of humanity and moral centeredness at the top of these nation states. And so much has to do with hegemony. You know, so much in the United States has to do with 
not accepting that you you just don't order the world, you know, and these economies are so interconnected. That is a retardant to certain nations acting and resisting the pressures, you know, of the United States will. But we see now, we know from the belly of the beast that this nation is hyper extended economically. And there is just no way you can ship the weapons that you've shipped to Ukraine, keep, you know, spending billions and billions of dollars in both Ukraine and um, Israel. And at the same time, telling your, you know, constituencies what they cannot have, what they have to live without, while all of these other nations are doing much better. It's, it's so it's really a tightrope act that everybody's trying to balance. And, you know, when Eric was saying that, you know, isn't it kind of amazing that we hear so much of the narrative that we do, you know, you have to balance against, you know, the visions, the visuals that people see. And there's only so much you can offer them a narrative that does not conform to what they see before you lose legitimacy. You have active interest groups who are, you know, mobilizing in terms of trying to pressure the government to change its policy on Israel. But to the degree that the Biden administration and any other, you know, administration to come, because we've always said foreign policy is where the Democrats and Republicans really come together and demonstrate that they are one. But if the people start realizing progressively that they have no impact on their government, that begins to work to destabilize this nation. Because, you know, there's only so far they can go before people realize that this settler colonialist project is bankrupt too in terms of, you know, a moral type of positioning. And to a certain extent, you are going to look up and realize that you have more in common with the people in Gaza than you realize. So I think we're really in a place of flux internationally. And until we get a resettling of, you know, America's decline, China's ascent, and Russia's repositioning, we're in for some turbulent times. And it, I don't think it's clear to anybody how all of this stuff kind of resolves itself out, especially when you have Israel as the wild card determined to force this genocide and the United States not having enough backbone to just reel them in and say, not on our dollar, not on our dime. And that's really what, if America is the leader that it believes itself to be, it would reel its junior partner, Israel, in and realize that there's a different set of realities that we have to create if we're going to coexist on this planet. And I think Biden is the wrong person, and I think Trump is no better, and Nikki Haley on that side is no better, and J, um, RFK on the other side is no better. We really need some moral leadership to begin to to bridge the way to the next, you know, state of being. I think it's, you know, and I don't see it emerging on.
Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's bring in Dr. Nick. Dr. Nick, just got to unmute. I see a little cat in the picture. Hello. Hello. Hey, Sabby. Good evening. How are you? Hey, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you, so? Good. What's up? So, um, I want to apologize. Last time I called, I was kind of blitzed and crossfaded. And so I apologize for that. I'm not blitzed and I'm not crossfaded tonight. So, should be better. Um, number two, I want to apologize for having a troll name in my handle the other night and you like read my comment and they totally forgot that you read your comments up front in the beginning of your show. And I'm embarrassed about that. So I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like un accidentally troll, troll your show. So I apologize for that. Um, that being said, I want to, in case Dwayne is listening Dwayne, I'm really happy that things worked out, that your mom is okay, that she had a successful surgery. You guys were really weighing on my mind all weekend long. I heard you last time. You were really going through it. And I just, I felt for you, my guy. And I'm just happy to know that you're good and your mom's good too. So, um, yeah, I wanted to say that as well. Um, let me see. I want to call out uh, Carl1217. He's a weak-ass bitch troll. He's weaker than, than the Cialis that uh, Biden uses for his limp-ass dick. This okay. fool... Okay, what is happening fool, here? This fool is talking smack about, like, Israel and the Palestinians and saying why the Palestinians ain't taking the two-state solution, why they've been refusing it all the time. Why Egypt ain't taking the Palestinians as refugees? Why Jordan ain't taking the uh, Palestinians as refugees? Like, they got their own land. Why they got to leave? They shouldn't be leaving. They shouldn't need to leave. And it's just a bad faith argument that Carl 1217 is using, saying that uh, they should be going to other countries. Why do they need to go to any other country except their homeland? That's BS. It's bullshit um, of the utmost order. And I feel for the Palestinian people, their struggle is my struggle. I'm a Chicano. You know, we have a history here in this country. We've been here, and yet we're treated as foreigners in our own land. When the Southwest became the U.S., the Californios and the Tejanos were forced out of their homes. They were given papers to sign in a foreign language and with a gun to their head and they lost their homes, you know, even though they were on their own goddamn land. Why should the Palestinians go to another country when they have a land, when they have a home? It's a bad faith argument. It's a dishonest argument. And there's no need to make that argument because we know those that know history know that the PLO under Yasser Arafat was open to a two-state solution. The problem with the Israeli government was that the P PLO was too goddamn fucking moderate for them. And they wouldn't be able to sustain hostilities with a moderate PLO. So what they do? They fund an extremist, quote-unquote, organization. Hamas. And now Israel has a boogeyman. 
They have a constant enemy where they constantly feed fear to their population and they can constantly justify the genocide and the execution and the elimination of, a, of, of the Palestinians, of the indigenous people there on that land. And they have an excuse to take that land and build more settlements and encroach upon their land. And this is BS. And because of that, honestly, I'm at a point, Savvy, after from October 7th to now, with the 20,000 plus dead that we know of, not counting the ones that are underneath the rubble that the dogs and the cats are eating, I'm at a point now that I welcome a strike from Iran. I welcome strikes from the Houthis. Fucking wipe them off the face of the, of the, of the, of the, of the map of the earth. Israel, as it stands now, should not exist. I'm not saying the Jews in Israel shouldn't exist. I'm talking about politically. The political state of Israel, as it is constituted now, has given up their right to exist. They don't deserve it. They've forsaken it. They are not acting in good faith. They are not. They just aren't. They've shown it. They've shown their whole ass that they are about genocide. We've seen the mock-ups of homes in Gaza telling Israelis, want to own some beachfront property? Yeah, and they're so dumb, these Israelis, that they'll put the mock-ups on top of, superimposed on top of the pictures of the ruins of Gaza, of the bombed-out buildings in Gaza. This is BS. This is wrong. So I welcome the Houthis. I welcome Iran. And, I, and, and to Eric's point, he said that uh, he doesn't, I can't remember really well what Eric was saying, something about the nuclear strikes, this and that, blah, blah. Eric, Russia already told Iran, don't worry, we got your back. So Iran is falling under the nuclear umbrella, nuclear protection of Russia and Putin. So Iran's feeling pretty good right now. And it is a mutually assured destruction if it, if it goes that way. And, you know, if it, if it does, it does. But something needs to happen. Something needs to happen because Biden is incompetent, or rather he's impotent, and is not doing anything about the situation. His handlers... Blinken, Kirby, Newland. They're all for this. They're all Zionist. They're all for this. And so where, where is the moral leadership of this country? We don't have it. We've lost it. How can we say something in the future or in the present? Nobody believes us anymore. We've lost all credibility. We're not even members of the ICC, International Criminal Court. We're not members of the ICC, and yet we're always uh, prodding other countries to, to, um, to use the ICC. Like right now, uh, they, they have a warrant against uh, Putin for his arrest. When he went over to the UAE, his uh, presidential airplane was accompanied by fighter jets because he wasn't going to get uh, Evo Morales. 
You remember that, Savvy, when Evo was uh, flying from Europe back to uh, Bolivia, he got intercepted and was obligated to uh, land in Austria? Right. A sovereign president, a sovereign head of state forced by the U.S. government to land because whatever BS reason, Putin said, nah, that, ain't shit, that, that shit ain't happening to me. And he had two fucking uh, fighter planes escorting his uh, presidential plane. And look at the look at the reception he received in the UAE. A, 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 a criminal is going to receive a, a reception like the one he received in the UAE? Come on. The world is not with us. The world is against us. The world is against the Zionism and the execution and the genocide of the Palestinian people. So, so Dr. Nick, if if you, I'm agreeing, you know, with everything you're saying, what I would say is if you connect the dots, right, and you go back to what's the root of this, what's, what's the root cause of this, where does that take us? What's your question? Where does it take what, us? What is the root cause of, of all of this? Like, like, if we're going to fix this, right, we have to figure out what's, What's really happening here? The, systemically, what's the cause? What's the root? I'm going to say it's the fact that we're trying to maintain and preserve uh, our interests that we have in our, in the Middle East. I think we're trying okay, to. But why are we doing that? Because we have uh, energy interests. Right, but I guess, oil you know, is still the greatest uh, energy source that we have in this world even though we're trying to transition to green energy this and that blah blah okay, agreed but agreed but why 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 then is as a country are we doing that because we don't have enough oil for ourselves i'm sorry i'm i guess which, so what i'm trying to get at is it's about interests again right we have yeah, the interests of of the ultra you know, billionaire class is 0.1%, and we have the interests of the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And those interests are in collision. Those, those are in opposition. Right, but why do so, the, the minority rule the interests of the majority? And that's why so I this is what I'm saying, is it's time for us as the majority to demand a change of that, to say, you know, no more of it. But the first step is is identifying it and not just getting caught up in all the little whack-a-mole battles, it all goes back to the same thing. You have this small ultra wealthy class that's using their wealth and power to corrupt the government, the Congress, the U S government where the power is. And that's the key point that, that we have to demand a change in. And it's not going to just going to be saying it or talking about it. I mean, we, I believe we as a 99% are literally going to have to get in the streets in the millions, but we're going to have to get in there with clear demands of saying to stop the corruption. I mean, we're not going to fix this. We're not going to get ourselves out of the situation for voting. Uh, voting has showed that. Um, I'm not suggesting we are going to do it simply. No, no, through voting. I, I'm not saying that you have. What I'm saying is that voting isn't going to solve this. Voting isn't going to fix this. Voting has uh, shown us that it's futile because um, it's a unit party. It's two faces of the same party. And I'm using the, the comparison. Uh, that why aren't we good. demanding an end to that? So this I'm is what I'm saying as a left movement. Why, why aren't we saying that this is unacceptable and we don't care what any of them say? say you know, we are going to get in the streets and we are not going to let this go until there's an end to the corruption. And we have a, a government that represents us and not, not the big money. So I'm using Mexico as an example as the perfect dictatorship. Mexico was ruled by the PRI for over 70 years. 
and it gave the the illusion of choice to the uh, population over the 120 million Mexicans that live in the country uh, with the PAN, the PRD, and the PRI. And wouldn't you know that the PRI would constantly win, even though there were different parties. And so it was a perfect dictatorship. It wasn't until 2000 when Fox won that Mexico had to call Washington and say, hey, um, are you cool with this? And Washington was like, yeah, we're cool with it, fine, whatever. And so that's when you finally had change, quote unquote, in Mexico. And so what I'm saying is we have the exact same situation here. We have the perfect dictatorship in this country with the illusion of choice. We do not have choice. We have an illusion of choice. George Carlin was very prescient when he said that we have an illusion of choice. And the reality is he's right. And um, we don't. We have the perfect dictatorship here. And you're saying we need to go to the streets. Okay, we need to do more than go to the streets. That's not just protesting. We need to do and have um, direct action. Read into that what you may, what you will, because that's the only way things are going to change. That's the only way things are going to change. Our demands. That being peaceful is um, the way. I sincerely do not believe that being peaceful is the way. I think there not only needs to be revolution of the mind, but there needs to be revolution of industries. Period. I think that's the only way. I think that um, we need to start asserting our rights that are enshrined in the uh, Bill of Rights. All of us. All of us. All of us that love this country and want to see it do better, we need to start asserting our rights enshrined in the Bill of Rights. But, and, but see, I think a part of the problem we face uniquely in this country is that the vast majority of people don't really understand the problems because domestically we have so many different interests that the, you know, the media and the powers that be consistently play divide and conquer. You You know, you have the, the people on the right spouting this, you know, racist type of ideology that polarizes people. And so when you begin to think that the problems that you do face are the result of other people who are in a similar situation as you are, then you'll never get to the place where you realize you need to coalesce and take on the government. And that's a part of what, you know, is so in the inducement and the enticement of a Donald Trump. He can spew his race-laced rhetoric, but it speaks to the concerns and woes of poor and working class white Americans. So no Not matter what Americans, type of frailties he demonstrates well. or reveals, they cling to him because he offers them well. some type of and hope for a future. That unite us and bring us together. And when we coalesce around those economic concerns as a people, as a United States, as an American people, will we be able to overcome and be able to win and prevail over the powers that be that subjugate us and make us believe that we will never be able to overcome them. It is but we, we can't get there as long as we're viewing each other as the problem. Send barriers. You understand that, right? What did you say? I said it's the economic issues that unite us. It's the no, it is. It is the e- 
It is the economic issues that have the potential to unite us, Mm -hmm. but the cultural issues and the cultural spin, which are rooted in real things, are the things that divide us. You know, the reality is the descendants of slaves of this country have never been on par with their economic peers. And the narrative and the primacy that has been extended to whiteness that created whiteness as a construct has these a lot of white people believing that they do have a primacy and that they should be at the front of the line at the expense of everybody else. And that it is okay to subjugate and keep, you know, black people, you know, pegged to the bottom of the economy. They don't, they see it as a real disempowering thing because they believe they should be first, which is why it's so easy to say, oh, the reason you don't have a job is because of the Mexicans coming across the border. Oh, the reason you don't have a job is because black people moving on up and this and that. That feeds into a psychosis that has been inbred in these people since the beginning of this nation. And the introduction of that construct, and it's difficult to break it down because you have so many features of this, you know, nation that feeds into it because the people at the top benefit from us being polar. Do we have cultural issues and cultural differences? Absolutely. But I disagree with you on your thesis. I disagree with your premise uh, 100% when we realize that it's the economic issues that join us because it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you're trans it doesn't matter if you're gay it doesn't matter if you're mexican it doesn't let me, matter let me, let, let me take let me poor, take this one though well let me feed yourself you can't feed me, yourself if you can't feed your kids you can't feed your kids if you can't put gas in your gas in your gas tank you can't put gas me, in your gas tank so it doesn't matter because we all have the same fundamental um issues we all have the same fundamental problems which is food housing food housing and clothing whether you're gay whether you're straight whether you're black whether you're white whether you're brown those are the fundamental issues for humanity for humankind those are the basic interests that we have and when you can't feed yourself when you can't shelter yourself and we can't close yourself what the fuck does it matter that you're gay what the fuck does it matter that you're trans what the fuck does it matter that you're black or that you're white or that you're brown Okay, so Dr. Nick, um, I'm a little bit confused because you just said if you can't do those things, what does it matter if you're gay or if you're black or if you're brown? But prior to that, you talked about how you're not treated the same in this country and you're indigenous to the land. So apparently it does matter. So ultimately... Ultimately, what I want to say, Sabby, is as follows. Those are identity politics, and to a certain degree, to a certain extent, identity politics are important. But more importantly is the ability to feed yourself, the ability to house yourself, and the ability to close yourself. Those, right. So you're important. talking about so you're, you're so you're talking about um so you're talking about class. No, I'm talking about basic necessities. The basic necessity to right. eat. So that's the that's basic necessity to have a roof over your head and the basic necessity to have clothes to cover yourself. Right. But you said, you said economic, you said economic issue, economic issues unite us. Correct. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So here's the problem. And and this is something I think 
people need to just look this up, okay? Because I don't know how this gets left out of the conversation. When people mention identity politics, FYI, class is an identity. When we talk about the social identities, it's not just race and gender or ethnicity. Class is also one of those identities that are included. So class, let, let me finish again. Class, you can look this up for yourself. I can do a whole show about this. In fact, I did do a show about this two years ago. Class is also an identity. Identity doesn't just mean the color of your skin. Identity doesn't, doesn't just mean your gender. It doesn't just mean your sexual orientation. There are different social identities that we all have. So this is why, and this is why I've said this before, even when Bernie Sanders was running for office and he said, let's just focus on the universal policies because it lifts all boats. Yes, it will lift off all boats, but there'll still be some people at the bottom of those boats. And even Bernie Sanders understood that. So essentially, when people say, let's just focus on class and not focus on everything else, you're basically willing to acknowledge, you should be willing to acknowledge that even when we just focus on the economic issues and just on class, you're still going to have people at the bottom. And according to this country right now, when I looked up the statistics, black people are at the bottom economically in this country. Latino Americans are above African Americans in this country financially, economically, and when it comes to class. We are still at the bottom. So that's why I said this before, just having universal policies does not put everyone on a level playing field. There's a difference between equality and equity. And I think some of you, and I, I'll, I'll just keep it a real, because I watched a lot of these people before I started my own show. The problem is some of the white left commentators convinced a lot of people that this was the way to go because those were the policies that Bernie Sanders was running on. And listen, I don't disagree with those policies. I agree that everybody should have health care. I agree that everybody needs to have a decent education. I agree with all those things. I totally get it. But what are you going to do for the people who are still going to be disenfranchised even after those universal programs and those people are still at the bottom? When you make the comparison, Bernie Sanders, for a country like Norway, that is not a fair comparison when we look at the United States. The population of Norway is majority European. They're majority white. I lived in Europe, I know. The United States is a melting pot. So if you lift all boats in Norway, it's not like, oh, okay, well, black people are here and white people are there. No, most of the people there are white. When you lift all boats in the United States, we are not all on the same playing field. That's still the problem. The equity is still an issue. And Roger explained this, explained this very well when he said, if you have $10 and you have $5 and one person has $1 and I give everybody a $10 bill, the person who already had $10 still has more then the person that had $5 and the person that had $1, even though I gave everyone a $10 bill. We cannot ignore that. 
We cannot sit up here and continue to say that we are not going to acknowledge that. You have to acknowledge the fact that everybody will not be on the same playing field. That's just basic math. Can I chime in? Hello? Oh, go ahead. Okay, great. So in response to your comments, Sammy, here's my thing. I think that um, the Chicanos in this country and the ADOS in this country need to come together and realize that the struggle is common. And we need to realize that we have a common core that unites us. Okay. And I think that the ADOS in this country stick uh, to 1619, to the 1619 narrative, which I disagree with 100%. I think our narrative starts at 1492 when Columbus came over um, with the three with the three ships and had slaves on it. So Mexicans, Chicanos are part of the black diaspora because we're descendants of slaves as well. You know, my family comes from the uh, poor city of Veracruz in Mexico. Veracruz was the city where the slave ships landed, where the slaves would arrive. So Veracruz, the south of Mexico, very, very heavily black, okay? And so part of the diaspora, part of the black African slave diaspora. And we need to acknowledge and realize that we all come from 1492 and that we should be Caribbean-centric and realize that even though we did have a slave trade and slave ships that arrived at U.S. ports, the majority was done in the Caribbean. And if we looked at it and emphasized our the Caribbean that links us and be Caribbean-centric and realize that we're connected, our struggle would be connected. And I've always said, it's really weird that African-Americans descendant of slaves still somewhere around 13, 15% of the population. That's just messed up. How are you going to be 13, 15% of the population after so many hundred years here? It's just doesn't, it, I don't, maybe you have the answer. I don't Because know we were killed. Right. The same reason why the, the Native American population in this country is significantly low because they were killed. It's significantly low. And if we unite together, the 30%, 28% of uh, Latinos, plus the 15% of the ADOS that we have here in the, this country together, holy shit, that would be an amazing block. But here's the- But you have to- Here's the- You would have to build those relationships. Here's the problem the, uh, that I, I continue the, uh, to try and articulate. Chicago, when they had um, an exhibit, Can, when they had let, an exhibit, when they had an exhibit of, um, of Yanga, I don't know if you're familiar with who Yanga is, but Yanga, Gaspar Yanga, was the first uh, black slave who led a successful slave revolt in the Spanish Empire, and that was in Mexico. Okay, and the Chicago Museum in the south in the uh, in in uh, the south side of Chicago had an exhibit uh, promoting and showcasing black history, showcasing. Yang, uh, Gaspar Yanga and his story and Blacks descendant of slaves in Mexico trying to develop those ties that should bring us together and show us the commonalities that we have together and but, show and showcase 
that the struggle is common between both of us. But here's the problem. This is not a matter of the American descendants of slaves not being willing to understand the struggles of other peoples in the slave trade. The reality is when we say we are owed reparations for the compounded um, suffering that we have suffered in this nation from the beginning to now, nobody runs to partner. We don't have a contingent of other ethnicities saying you're absolutely right and we support you. You're absolutely we right have people, we have other contingencies saying, well, if y'all get reparations A, B, and C. But the reality is, and that's the point that I was trying to make, there is an economic reality that runs through all poor people in this country. But if you believe that I am the source of your poverty, then you're not going to be willing to partner with me. Noel, when you get your reparations, American Indians get the reparations and the Chicanos get the reparations. But here's the thing. But here's the thing. Wait a minute, Dr. Nick. Wait a minute. The indigenous peoples in this country have received to some extent what could be construed as a type of repair. And so in terms of a population or a segment of the population, the American descendants of slaves have been denied from the beginning. We never got 40 acres and a mule. We never got any of that. And And so the reality is if there is to be some type of bridges and alliances brokered and, and created, we have to come to some common understanding of the connections between our histories. But if we have been pegged to the bottom and everybody else can leapfrog above us, nobody is willing to say, well, you know, when the migrants, the immigrants from all these other countries have come to this country, nobody is saying we're going to join with the descendants of slaves and make sure they get untied and untethered from the bottom. These people came in and leapfrogged over and became as white as they can come. And if we are honest, there are some Latino Americans who live as white. So they've been made white. Let's let's move. I want to move the queue along, Doctor Nick. I need to move the queue along because there's other people waiting. Um, I can make you as a speaker if you want. No, it's kosher. Okay. Um, I'll invite you to I'll invite you to speak, and then let's go to Lee because Lee's been waiting a hot minute. We'll go to Lee, and then we'll bring in um, Metal Be Easy Notori. What's up, Lee? Oh, that was perfect. That was the perfect thing. When you look when you look at the census report, most Latinos mark white. I'm just want to keep that real. The doctor Noel is completely right about that. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, because even my friends that are Latino mark themselves as white, they and they'll tell you they. And they'll tell you, and they not they won't think nothing bad about it. We know that's up there. That's what they do. But uh, listen, that was a right on comment. I'm glad she said that because I was right on my mind when she said that. Uh, but I really want to talk about really what, you know, the bottom line of what's going on, what I, how I feel the importance that we should be like thinking about, you know, China is setting up to take over the currency and uh, we're going to be pretty much fucked out when Saudi Arabia jumps right up on that and starts taking money from them. And then all of a sudden we're going to be paying, you know, $20 for a carton of eggs. And this is, it's just going to get worse. 
And every time Lindsey Graham opens his mouth talking about let's sanction them, that's talking about taking money out of our pockets because that's what's going to happen. Basically, we're going to get we're going to they're going to sanction these countries that that that, you know, that we we need them and we're going to sanction like China. That makes no sense. So so, I mean, that guy is going to get us in trouble. I'm surprised he's not censured. And, you know, he's ridiculous. And uh, and and, you know, I just want to know. I just don't understand why people just don't get it, you know. And I'm living here in California here, and I feel like, you know, I, you know, I, I'm going to, you know, it's a democratic state, but the democratic, the, the, the democratic people here are just ridiculous. And, and, uh, and I feel like we, we need to start thinking about taking care of our, yes, black people. We need to start thinking about getting, you know, our votes and having that count for something. Because, uh, you know, I disagree what that gentleman said about the, you know black people coming over here on a boat asking I don't I don't believe that I believe there were black people here before Columbus came here and I believe that they you know I don't believe that you can have 51 million black people on a continent and they're all brought over here on boats inside of 100 years that just uh, the math doesn't work for me I feel like there are black people here that came over here from Egypt on their own fucking boats and I think that we've been here for the longest time. And when people came here, they just took advantage and enslaved us. And I feel like, you know, if they're going to give us reparations because, you know, we built this country. I'm just surpri- surprised that uh, the people that came here in this country, they don't understand if they if we work together, this country could be the best country on this planet and we could have good people in, in office. We can have good black people in office, but it seems like they don't want that to happen because it, it, there's too much greed in government. There's just too much greed there, and there's, there's there's not enough love there. And I kind of feel like, you know, if we can just uh, work together, we can be a really strong country. And that's why I feel like the only person that I need to that I need to be thinking about right now in terms of voting will probably be independent, and it's got to be Dr. West because he's the only person talking about love in his uh, campaign. No one else is talking about that. And, uh, well, and- one one thing I'll add is that. Um- the reason why we can't unite with black immigrants that come to the U.S. is not necessarily because we haven't wanted to. It's because, and and friends of mine that are Jamaican will tell you this. They have already been told before they come to this country not to align themselves with us. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've, I've heard that from people who have come from countries like Nigeria. They've been told, don't align yourself with us. Like it just, you know, don't align yourself with the black Americans because they don't have anything. Right. And then sometimes like some of the black immigrants that do come to the U.S., they already have money before they come here. And that's another thing that some people may not realize. When I was an undergrad, there was a girl, uh, she was on the same floor as me. We weren't necessarily friends, but she was my roommate's, or yeah. she was my friend's roommate. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she she made it very clear to us, clear to us. that her, her parents were doctors, because she said her parents were doctors and they expected mm-hmm. her to be a doctor, right? Uh-huh. So she was pre-med at the time. And she was telling us that because her parent her parents grew up in Nigeria, she said mm-hmm. they were already her parents already had money before they came here. They were right. already doctors in Nigeria and then they came to the US. So when people say stuff like, well, the Nigerians come here and they do really well, why can't black Americans do that? A lot of times they are already established in their home country. They right. already have the money. It, 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 it takes money to come here. Like, let's just be real. They right. already have the money. And so they're already, or 
they've already attended university in their home country. Then they come here. And my friend, um, a friend of mine, Susmita, who her parents are from India, she said the same thing. Her parents already had the degrees in India. Then they came here. Then they had her. So then she was able to have like the American like upbringing and stuff like that. But it's very different from people who are actually African-American descendants of slavery, where if you were brought here as a slave, you came here with nothing. And then you were a slave. So you weren't paid for your labor. And then there's all the other laws that came after that. You know, we had reconstruction and then black communities were starting to build. But every time, like I said, those communities were burned to the ground. When we talk about black Wall Street, people have to understand it wasn't just Tulsa, Oklahoma. There were multiple black Wall Streets. There was actually something people may not realize. There was a town in New York that was an all black town and they got rid of all the black. They pushed all the black people out. It's a completely white suburb now. If you look at Boston, Massachusetts, the neighborhood Beacon Hill, if you ever come here as a tourist, you will go to Beacon Hill. That's one of the places they'll take you to. It's mainly all white people on Beacon Hill, very expensive Mm -hmm. to live here. But what a lot of people don't know is like a long time ago when slaves left the slap, they were fleeing the South to move up North. Beacon Hill was a black neighborhood. Wow. They pushed the black people out. So when we talk about gentrification, this has been happening for a long time. You hear about it more now, yeah. but it's always been an issue. Yeah, they're doing that over, I think that's that's, that's kind of reminds me of what they're doing in Palestine. They're going to take the, that land over there. It's right off that little, that little, that little seat, that waterfront, and they're going to turn that into a resort town. That's what Israeli wants to do. They want to kick those people out and, you know, and, make, and make a buck off of it and then off of the backs of other people. Right. And they'll they'll destroy it mm-hmm. and get it to the point where you you are pushed out and then they'll rebuild it. But you won't be able to live there and enjoy yeah. the rebuilding. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, I, you know, I, one thing I just want to fear, it feels like, OK, I'm just not to harp back on you on, on the pol- political thing of the presidential presidential race. But I, I feel like we need to get a black a black cabinet member representative. Like, you know, how they have the cabinet members and think there's a defense or whatever. There needs to be someone representing the uh, 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 the black people in this country, because you know I I feel like you know building this country we, we it's owed to us, and uh, if we're going to get reparations, we got to get some cabinet level member representation. I think Dr. Claude Anderson was talking about something like that, where where, where you know there should be a cabinet member for uh, under the presidential, and maybe maybe Dr. West will do something like that if he gets in there. I mean, but, but we need it. Well. Let's bring in um, Metal, and I'll go to you, Roger. Metal, you just have to hit the unmute button. I think your name is Metal. Yeah, that's Metal? me. Yeah. All right. You guys, What's up, Metal Martin? Y'all can hear me? Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, this is totally off topic, but it's actually quite pertinent, and I think a lot of people should probably listen to this. Anyways, because I'm speaking, so it has to be important, right? All right. There's a movie from like the early 90s, might have even been 1990. It was Pump Up the Volume with Christian Slater. I know, I'm being a fanboy. And I remember shit. that. <laughs> <laughs> but you remember what it was about, though? He was a radio DJ, right? Yeah, he was a pirate radio DJ. And he was speaking. He had like um, some shit that he got from his 
I don't know, whatever he had, who gives a fuck? But point is, he had a radio station. It was really limited. It was, you know, it was a pirate radio station. He was broadcasting to the kids of his school. You know, he was saying how fucked up shit was and how bad the world was and, and, and the reasons why even, like, you know, he called up, like, the administrators because his dad was, like, the superintendent or some shit, and he, he attacked the system, and he exposed the fraud for what it was. And that was in the 1990s, and that was the radio. He had a fucking ham radio that he used. But we have the internet. We have the ability to express ourselves and to really tell the world what the fuck is going on, and we definitely need to use that. That's the most important fucking thing we have going you know, against the fucking tyranny that we're experiencing. It's unreal, the, the power that these people have over us. They, I mean, they control our minds just by the programming they give us. And, you know, anyways, I don't want to sound like a nutcase, but that's, I just kind of wanted to bring that up. And I got a lot of other shit to say if anyone wants to listen, but that was the most important thing. People should watch that movie. It's really pertinent to this day. There used to be like a public access uh, back in the 90s or the 80s. There used to be a little channel where if you wanted to be in your local town and you want to broadcast, you could go on and uh, and do your thing. And I think New York had some, some kind of like uh, some sex stuff on there, like Robin Bird, I think, was doing that kind of stuff. And But, you know, anyone could really, you know, if you pay the money, you can go on there and have your own little say whatever you want to say yeah that that was the thing though it was no pay the money he did it for free he, he oh, pirated yeah. the shit that's, was, that's the beauty of it you know he did it for free i think this is public access so was, uh i don't know how one would get out one would uh actually get into that but i know that uh that was available but now that television you can't even like use antennas for televisions anymore you gotta pay you gotta pay a subscription and we gotta you gotta pay well, to have internet just to have a yeah. television that's not true, though. The antennas are out there. The radio frequency is still broadcasting. We're just not receiving them. I, I, I watch antenna television. I get 65 channels just over the air. People just out of it. Just the shortwave is there. All this information is there. But we're paying other people to provide us with the shit they want us to believe. And the free information has always been there. You know, it's, uh, I'm just... Is there a public that, access version? Is there a public access uh, channel that you can go on? No, it's not a channel. It's you you having the technology of the receivers, the the radios. That's well, what that's, I'm... well, that's what I'm thinking. There used to be a broadcast quality uh, channel dedicated to the public, to people's public interest back in the 80s or 90s. And, yeah, uh, and people can go true. on and do that. And I don't see that anymore. You're saying that you, there's still antenna. Maybe it has nothing to do with it. But well, it has everything that... to do with it. They've, they've shut it down, but the, the, the capability is still there. The, the free shit is still there. The world is still communicating. But we've chosen to, you know, like sign into their internet and be part of their fucking system. We don't have to well, do that. I know a lot, of poor still people, there. a lot of poor people can't afford the internet and pay for to have, uh, uh, to have even phones. And so what I'm saying is all you, if you can afford to have a television, uh, you could, uh, Go to a public access channel and 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 watch and be entertained or whatever we're gonna however way you want to be in touch with people. I'm just saying, a lot of people just cannot afford to. Uh, no, I to call pay. bullshit. I call complete bullshit. I'm poor. I can afford to make choices. I can make. I can afford to make smart choices. I'm not gonna make excuses for There's anything. Nothing to do we with have the ability to do it. All do of you, us do. So if you had no money, so you so you're saying a homeless person out on the street right now can oh, go okay. and get on the yes, internet? Yes, yes. Okay, you won that argument. There are plenty of homeless people, and they might not have the capability to well, do that. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's okay. What I'm saying. 
and we're not the rest of us. The vast majority of people are not homeless. We have the well, ability there are to. A lot of, there are a this. lot of homeless people that could be helped if it were just made uh, easier. I, I just don't want to sound like a jerk. I'm gonna I'm gonna sign off. You all can comment on what I had to say, but I just I can't do this, dude. Okay, sorry, Metal. Let's bring in Roger. Roger, you wanted to chime in, and then I'll go to uh, Be Easy and Atori. What's up? Um, I was in the middle of brushing my teeth with Noel, and Dr. Nick was going back and forth. So I, I didn't really have a chance to respond to that. So I'm going to respond to that. I'm going to go to Lee, and I'm going to ask you, Sabrina, about the about the, the New York thing. But um, I would say I understand what Dr. Nick was saying. But I was going to ask him, what does that look like in terms of all of us coming together in this in this big coalition and so on and so forth? Because here's the thing. I hear a lot of people saying, and it's not just it's not just Dr. Nick or whatever. Right. But I hear a lot of people saying, let's all come together and do fill in the blank. But yet no one's running no citizen ballot initiatives. And these are people coming the, and this is coming from people who actually live in citizen ballot initiative states. If you want these things, you don't have to do all this coalition, whatever, whatever. You can get the people together in your in your community, in your state or whatever, okay, and try to get these things on the ballot. California got a whole bunch of stuff on the ballot already, okay? And there's, and there's more. There's also some potential measures. Is it easy? No. You can actually make the process easy by running a ballot initiative to make it easier. Okay. Um, but at the, at the same time, um, you also have to understand that progressive policies have not always been good to our community. Woodrow Wilson was a very progressive president, but he made sure that we were left out of those policies and he did it on purpose okay Fed, uh fdr he screamed birth of a nation and at the white house that's <laughs> nothing compared the, bro that's nothing compared to the policies that i mean yeah he said it was lightning written. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was he said it was history written in lightning i mean that's that's nothing compared if you actually look at the policies that he pushed on one end you'd be like oh wow this guy broke up the banks he he was all about antitrust he was oh. all about he made sure that um he made sure that the 16th amendment got pushed to tax corporations and he he did stuff to help working people whatever all that good stuff he made sure to desegregate the um the federal government okay he made he pushed black people out of the federal government you know people who were on the verge of retiring black people who were on the verge of retiring um lost everything you see what i'm saying so what i'm, I'm what i'm saying is progressive policies are good when they work uh, for everybody but the history has shown you know what was what was meant for us got pushed to someone else right. uh or those policies hurt us like eisenhower's interstate highway system that was that was a great universal policy but it was at the cost of taking those roads and barreling right through our towns so it wasn't just oh um it wasn't just the fact that oh our towns got burned down which is true 
but it was also the government doing eminent domain over our communities. We had self-sustaining, independent, um, economically independent communities, and they all didn't get burned down. They had the interstate highway run right to them and completely yeah. obliterated everything we had. And that was a universal policy. You see what yeah. I'm saying? So universal policies have not always been good to us. So like when we, a lot of times when you talk to, when you talk to someone from our community who knows the history, then it, they look at you like, uh, whatever the case is, right? Now, Lee, um, it's, I don't want you to depend so much on the politician, okay? I think you said you live in California. That's a citizen ballot initiative state. Don't make the politician. I don't care how you feel about him. We all felt something about Clinton back in the days. If you're a generation X older, we felt something about Obama. You know what I mean? We thought he was going to change things. We felt something about Bernie. We felt something about AOC. You have to learn the lessons. Okay. You have the power. You in California, I think you said he was in California. You guys have yeah. the power to actually make change. Deprioritize the uh the politician and prioritize your own power of being a citizen lawmaker and constant and state constitutional amender that power is is yours you feel what i'm saying focus yeah. on that you know what i mean and the same thing for those who say we need to all come together we'll all come together and push push your single payer health care in your state public bank housing for for the homeless you see because you mentioned homeless before you know right stop yeah. outlaw private equity from owning housing okay now last one sabrina what was that place what, what which place in um new york you was talking about I was, are you talking about central park what, what, like what, i thought it was levittown i thought i think it might be stuyvesant town stuyvesant i think that might have been where the black people were i think okay. it's, i think the one i saw was levittown levittown Okay, in New York. So Levittown is about a 15 minute drive from where I live. East. Also Seneca okay. Village. That's upstate, I believe. Okay. Right? Yeah, I believe that's mm -hmm. upstate. I think. Oh, no, wait a minute. Was Seneca, no, Seneca Village was Test Central Park, I believe. Seneca uh, Village, Seneca Village, uh, Levittown. But go ahead, Roger. Sorry. So, so Levittown was a way, was, um, now, the, the guy Levitt, I forgot his full name or whatever, but he built Levitt towns all over the country, including Puerto Rico. So his thing was, you know, like before the great migration out here in, in the Long Island suburbs, it wasn't suburb, it was all farmland that was undeveloped. You know, we're talking, we're going back a hundred years or so, whatever the case is, right? It was all farmland, horses and bullshit everywhere, whatever the case is, right? So um, what happened was once black people started moving north to escape the Klan and escape, you know, like I said, the eminent domain thing or whatever the case was and started moving into places like Queensbridge or uh, uh, Cabrini Green or, you know what I mean? Like Detroit, Cleveland, uh, Milwaukee. Uh, what's the other one? Akron, you know, all these, all these different, different places up north. These white people up here didn't want to be around black people, so Levitt started building the suburbs. You know, so just going out with with Long Island, he developed all of this farmland out here, what Stewart Man, all these places or whatever, and he, you know, named Levittown after him. And I remember it 
it was like one of the most racist towns. You know, what I'm saying? I mean, just growing up, people said, "Yeah, stay away from Levittown." I mean, I had an experience there. It wasn't like, you know, no no crazy uh, down south thing, but I was I had some job going door to door. It had something to do with the environment or something. This was back in the early '90s and whatever. And some guy was some guy came up to me whose house I was at, and he started asking me, uh, "Let me see your credentials." Or well, I think he might have been a cop or something like that, or whatever the case is. I was like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." <laughs> you know what I mean? It, but it was it's like, yeah, because you know you you don't really know, and you know you know you gotta watch people and so on and so forth. I'm like, yeah, whatever, man. I'm not getting paid this much for this job anyway, so whatever. But um, yeah, you yeah. know something? Can I? Can I add on some of that? I think that um, if uh, a lot of truck drivers will tell you, if you drive through Vitor, Texas, you will, you, you can't be there when the sun goes down. I think that's still a thing. Oh, yeah, they call them sundown towns. Yeah, they still, yeah, have, they still have that. They still have it. I actually put the link, you guys, to Levittown in the chat here so you can read about the black history in Levittown because it's pretty wild when you read that article. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. who's from Levittown, uh, Savvy? Who? Billy Joe. No. <laughs> <laughs> I like Billy Joe's songs, but if I ever met Billy Joe in person, I would have to ask him. Let's talk about Levittown, Bill. He he still lives uh, out here. He just doesn't. He still lives in the county. He just doesn't live in Levittown. He lives on something called Shelter Island, and um. I went by his mansion one time when I was doing Uber out here and I dropped somebody off in shelter. I was like, yo, don't Billy Joe live out here? He's like, yeah, yeah, drive down the block and, and it'll be that gate that says something, something, something or other. But you won't be able to see his house because he has a descending driveway. And Billy Joe said, oh, go ahead, sorry. Let me tell you something about, about rich people because I've, I've, I've driven in their neighborhoods whether it's like taxis or Ubers or whatever, right? They, they, their driveways take about 30 seconds before you reach a house. Okay. I mean, when you think of driveway, you think, oh, you just drive in. It's like, no, no. First, like a gate got to open up. And it's not, and not like a gated community, because a gated community is a gate that leads to an entire community. Now, I'm talking about a gate per estate, right? So they buzz you in. And you take about a 30 second drive. So think about that, a 30 second drive up a goddamn driveway. Oh, that's a nice house. Oh, no, no, that's the help's house. This is the house. <laughs> like, oh, okay, got it. You know, and you never pick up the owners. You always either picking up their kids or the help to take them back to Brooklyn because they don't want to stay at that nice house because then they have to be, you know, on their very beck and call all the time. It's like, no, take me back to the hood. Take me back to Brooklyn. I don't want to be over here. <laughs> so listen, you know. let me let me let me tell you something. Um I never saw the appeal of Long Island. Like I, or like people like when I live in New York, people are like, let's go to the it's the Hamptons. Like it's summer, go to the Hamptons. And I just never saw the appeal because I lived down south and I saw like no offense to anybody in the in the queue, but I saw real beaches. So to me, and I, I still say that even living in Massachusetts, I'm like, yeah, I'll go to the beach here during the summer, but I don't consider this like a, a real beach compared to what I I saw. Like 
I lived in South Carolina. I lived in North Carolina. I've been to beaches in Florida. And so to me, a beach has long, continuous sand uh, for miles. And there's a pier somewhere. And, you know, there's not all these rocks on the beach. Like, I, you, can, you know how it is if you go to the beach in the South. So for me, when the fir- very first time I went to the Hamptons, people were like, this is the beach. We're here. And I was like, this is it? Like, I was just kind of like, I don't know. Like, if you guys ever go to, like, Myrtle Beach or you go to any of the beaches in Florida, you'll see what I mean. Like, it's just like, there's more sand. Like, I don't know. Have you been to Jones Beach? No. Okay. So don't say anything about our beaches until you've been to Jones Beach. But it's still not the same. And I I still say the same thing living in Massachusetts. It's still not the same because number one, the water is too cold. Like further south, the water is actually bearable. You can get into the water. But up here, I remember the very first time I went to the beach in the Northeast and I was like, Jesus Christ, I put my foot in the water, just one foot. The other foot was still in the sand. I put one foot in the water and I I thought I was going to die. And I looked around and I saw kids like jumping into the water and the ocean and stuff. And they're like, yay. And I'm like, aren't you freezing? And then they have the horse flies. So those giant chubby flies. So I'm sitting on the beach just minding my own business. And I'm like, something is biting me. These horse flies would come and try to eat my legs. Yeah, it's they, they sting. They don't bite. They put that little needle in you. Yeah, what the hell is that? I was like, what the hell are these things? And so my husband explained. He was like, at that time we were still dating. And he was like, oh, those are the horse flies. I'm like, why are they on the beach? <laughs> why are they on the beach? <laughs> I will say Jones Beach was man-made. Oh, I think that's um I think that was Robert Moses. Another matter of fact, like he's very famous out here in New York. Well, he's dead now, but if you saw a documentary like a PBS documentary on Robert Moses, what I told you about what Eisenhower did, he did that to the Bronx. If anyone is familiar with the Cross Bronx Expressway, those were all towns, those were all communities that he just I'm barreling through. Just destroyed entire communities. And, and, you know, like, but there's this Robert Moses Causeway, like, east of Jones Beach. That, Listen, that's- my friend's mom saw Billy Joel way back in the day before he actually became famous. He was performing at a townie bar um, on Long Island, and a friend of hers dragged her and said, you got to come see this guy. I think he's going to be big. And they went to see him. And I think, if I remember correctly, I think he played Piano Man then. Um, but I love Billy Joel's songs. But Billy Joel had this song. I'll play it later. Play part of it later. He had this song called um, Moving Out. That's probably still my favorite Billy Joel song. But I want to bring in um, B-Easy. B-Easy's been made, waiting a hot minute. What's up, B-Easy? Just unmute. Just got to hit the unmute button, bottom left corner. There you go. Oh, you had it. Uh-oh. Can you hear me? Uh, we can hear you now. Okay, cool. 
All right. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So uh, it has been a lot uh, said, but I, I think it has been a pretty fruitful discussion. So shout out to you for hosting this space and all of the speakers. But I did want to tie uh, something I've seen from your comrades, and this will tie into the discussion. And uh, it will also ad lib to your segment that you did with about Cornell West today. So uh, I seen uh, JB in Rome did a stream and uh, they were addressing some of the outlandish comments that Jimmy Dore made. And it was kind of more of the same rhetoric, you know, and it is it was rubbing me off uh, the kind of the white moderate that Malcolm X warned us about. Now, I don't really care what he says he's identifies as progressive or whatever. I'm just going based off the rhetoric. And he talked a lot about identity politics. And mm-hmm. you were alluding to the point that I was making all politics or identity politics. Mm-hmm. When someone is running for office, they'll say, hey, he needs to win the evangelical vote, which means he needs to pander to that group based on their identity and their ideological beliefs. No one complains about that being identity politics. Right. You hear Zionists jumping on, crying left and right about anti-Semitism. Has Jimmy Dore, and this is not just about Jimmy, um, so I'm just speaking more so, more so towards that rhetoric, because I know that he has a massive following of people that be, uh, believe this stuff. But when they're pointing this identity politics that they say that they're vehemently against, is very hypocritical and is very contradictory. He bought on Tucker Carlson to have, a, uh, uh, to have the conversation when Tucker Carlson is a preeminent white supremacist rhetoric spouting person he he, there won't be a segment where he doesn't bring up black lives matter and george floyd how long has it been since george floyd passing how many black men had died based on police brutality but they're still talking about george floyd that is a form of identity politics they're not calling it that but they're pandering towards what a conservative base identity a republican base identity maga base identity like Either way that you want to go with it, even in his first interview when he was uh, uh, wagging his finger at Cornell West talking about COVID, he was saying X amount of black businesses shut down versus COVID. Is that an identity politics stat that Jimmy Dore himself put out? And he's yelling at him saying, why don't you care about uh, uh, this? You care more about trans issues. So he's kind of going back and forth saying, don't talk about identity politics, but using identity politics to make his point. And once again, when someone says they're progressive, is that not an identity so I, I don't really get what this is about, you know, um, and many people fall for it, too, because they're saying don't talk about race. And the same people that don't say talk about race, i.e. Tucker Carlson, he says black on black crime. So I thought we were all Americans. You don't see color. But suddenly when it comes to crime, you see black people They have people all the time that have Tim Pool, Ben Shapiro value tainment all of them have made disparaging remarks about black people 
Jimmy Dore has been on all of those shows and he never said that they sound like a Democrat. He never said that they were playing identity politics. So for everyone that says, hey, we want to unite, you can't unite without being without calling this stuff out. You know, what I mean, um, J, JB had said, like, look, if you, um, you know, have an ailment uh, and you uh, basically ignore it. That doesn't mean that it's not there. So how are we going to move forward if you can't even address that? As Black Americans, we're supposed to be accept people calling us the N-word with a G-A and an E-R, but people can't have a civil conversation about race, but we are supposedly the sensitive ones. Some people are so triggered that if you say free Palestine, but we are the ones that are triggered. So I'm saying people need to have a uh, a broader outlook when they're talking about this whole identity politics thing. Because if I talk about the maternal rate um, and the disparity with black women, is that identity politics? You know, if I say that um, when uh, also when there was the campaign and they blamed the black men for this, the stop Asian hate. <laughs> that's basically yeah. identity politics based on their race. Literally, Jimmy Dore, TYT, no one was saying that that was identity politics. They just accepted it. And that same year that they passed the Stop Asian Hate Bill, guess who was the leading victims of hate crimes? Black people. They'll yeah. say 1350, yeah. 1350. How many times have you heard that? But they never say 13% of the population, 50% of the hate crimes, over 50% of the wrongful convictions. Also, 35% less pay for doing the same work as a white person. No one brings up per capita and identity politics then. It's just like, oh, that's being woke. Is it being woke for telling the truth? If I say two plus two is four, am I being woke or am I telling the truth? So I think that a lot of these people that say that, hey, they are so uh, profound and prolific, a lot of their talking points are extremely juvenile. And look, black people, we support universal policies. The thing is, we support policies that are specific to our plight as well. And that's what a lot of people like to use black people as voter mules. They'll put them out. They'll put them in the as the face. Black people, this we need to help black people. And then they do a bait and switch like Kamala Harris. And she says, yeah. I, I want to help underserved groups and people of color and then guess who's at the bottom of that people of color totem pole black mm -hmm. people so that's what i'm saying people like dr claude anderson they talked about this um about delineation when we say okay cool you know what we are going to delineate however you identify yourself black american uh negro freedman whatever correct i think the delineation is appropriate but when we do it it's considered divisive, right, but right. when other groups do it, it's just the norm. For instance, uh, uh, Biden's uh, sec press secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre, when she got elected, they said first black lesbian woman. <laughs> but then, well, 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 this is to gen up uh, the excitement. But then when she actually got appointed, they said first Haitian American. Oh, so, yeah. that's, so that's what I'm trying to say. So many people and now... Uh, Sabi mentioned the Nigerians earlier. I know plenty of my brothers and sisters from the African diaspora. Many of them benefited more from affirmative action than actual 
Friedman. If you look it up, don't take my word for it, more white women benefited from that. No one brings this up as identity politics, right? I'm just not supposed to admit that this is a fact. Um, then And then when people do get in there, it's, oh, this person was a diversity hire. But they don't consider the legacy people diversity hires. So uh, it, it's, it's so much contradiction in, in many of what they were saying. And um, I also heard Jimmy saying that he he was a supporter of Cornell West. But then when Cornell West came on his show, he's not a supporter anymore because he was acting dumb, etc. I'm paraphrasing. See, this is what I'm talking about. Dr. Claude Anderson and others said... As groups, groups don't have allies. Groups have interests. Yep. And that's what I'm saying. When the Asian people went there to get the Stop Asian Hate Bill, they didn't say, you know what? The black people is going through something, too. Let's make this a Stop Asian and Black Bill. Let's make this a People of Color Hate Bill. No, they said, no, make this an Asian Hate Bill. That's right. what it was. And individually, people are... Um, you know, individually, people do have the propensity to unite, but as a group, we're not there yet because people are unwilling to call out their uncles or call out people like Jimmy Dore or people that support that rhetoric. All I'm saying is, look, I'm not saying I hate the guy or he's a bad guy. I don't know him, so I'm indifferent about him. But what I'm saying is, if Cornell West could be called out, and his flaws could be put on the table because he has flaws because he's a human, just like we all do. Why are some people acting like Jimmy or Tucker Carlson or even Elon Musk, right? People are like, he's thank him for the free speech. Like, hold on. There's many of people that, that there's people that say the N word all day on X and nothing happens. But if you say decolonization, you're banned. Has mm. any... Has any of has any of the progressives ever talked about this? And I have a lot more to say, but I'll just land with this. When I'm talking about the groups don't have uh, allies that have interests, I'll just name some. Jimmy Dore, uh, Humanist Report, Kyle Kalinsky, Breaking Points, um, uh, uh, Rational National. You can just go down the list. All of them would be purportedly progressive. And you know, there's the saying, progressive except for Palestine. No, progressive except for reparations. Progressive mm-hmm. except for a policy that helps black Americans. They literally, none of them support reparations. None of them. And then if they do support it, if they do support it, they won't even do a stream about it. There's plenty of uh, Sandy Darity, which Sabi has interviewed, and other renowned reparation activists, they could go on there and debate them. So you'll debate someone who spews anti-Black racist propaganda, but you won't debate a reparationist. But then we're okay. all allies and we need to stick together. I'll land right there. Uh, good and point, now, brother. Piggybacks on top you put the of words what I was right out of my mouth be easy? Because I was going to talk about um the... um. The hate, the Asian hate bill to protect Jewish people, but where the fuck is black people bill? That's why I said I don't give a fuck about what people think about reparations. Black people should have got reparations decades ago, a hundred years ago, because I see that they can just throw billions of dollars to everybody else, but they can't, they choose who they want to help. They want to keep black people down. And what yep. be easy with saying about some of these creators, that's why I made a post on Twitter in 2024. I'm not fucking with nobody 
I love everybody, but I'm not fucking with nobody. That's why they're scared to talk about black issues just because their audience is scared. And just like I see some people in these comments, there's dick riding for Jimmy. Yes, you can dick ride him and love Jimmy. You can love who you want to love. But I'm not going to stop talking about the bitches. Y'all know me. I'm not going to stop talking about the bitches that I see that I know they good on certain issues. But they go on other shows and they talk about it, but they go back on their show and don't say shit about it because they know their audience don't want to hear shit about nobody being black or reparations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jimmy Dora, he's really inconsistent. Let me just let me just say something really quick. Be easy. That was very poetic. Yeah. Like that was that was straight fire and you know, before RBM was RBM, we were FHL, Fred Hampton left us. And when it started as Fred Hampton leftist, the reason you do you guys know why that started? The reason why it started is because we were tired of white progressives trying to talk about our plight and not having any of the experience. That was a big part of it. We were tired of people saying just vote for these people and everything will work out. We were tired of it. All of us, all of us came from the Bernie movement, every single one of us. From the very beginning, we were FHL, came from the Bernie movement, and we even saw how even the Bernie movement still was not moving in a way that was going to try to benefit benefit uh, things for African Americans to put us at a, a level playing field. Like I said, there's a difference between equality and equity. Bernie Sanders was trying to give people equality, but he didn't want to give people equity. And if you don't give people equity, People are still going to be at the bottom. Certain groups still going to be at the bottom. And Bernie Sanders went on record multiple times saying he did not support reparations for African-American descendants of slavery. But Jewish people got reparations. Japanese Americans got reparations. Japanese Americans got cash reparations under Ronald Reagan. Under Ronald Reagan. So this is the thing that I I, I continue to bring up. And it's like, but whenever it, it comes to us, it's like, no, it can't happen. There are uh, immigrants in Chicago right now. And from what I've seen, and I want to bring on someone to talk about this, because from what I've seen, it looks like they're offering them more than what they're offering black people who were already here who are U.S. citizens in Chicago. So this is is the ongoing problem when it comes to African-American descendants of slavery. Yes, we always get the short end of the stick. But the other thing is, too, I saw the stream that JB did with Rome. And one thing I will say is that JB didn't refute the the argument just based on his opinion. JB refuted the argument with data, with data. And you're right, be easy. Everything is identity. Everything is identity politics. Like it just, when we watch what, Tucker Carlson on Fox News for years talk about race. That yeah. was identity. Mm-hmm. So what I said before, and I, I had this conversation with Pasta from Convo Couch, and so did Nick. We had this conversation with Pasta on stream. And like I said before, it seems like to me, it's all about doing what makes white people comfortable. And he admitted to that. You don't believe me? Go watch the video on my channel. He admitted to it. He was like, well, no, you can't alienate. I said, you can't alienate who? Yeah, and yeah, said, yeah. You can't you said, you alienate uh, white workers. I was like, oh, but it's okay to alienate the other groups because that's what's been happening all along. 
But, but here's the thing. But here's the thing now. I keep going back to these people say uh, whether they're talking about like we need to get workers together and to the universal blah 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 this and blah blah blah. Jimmy said on his on his tweet that I responded to with a long ass response. No one will lead. I was saying what this person was saying seven years ago, and nobody listens to me. No one will lead. Well, then I'll lead. So I said, oh, okay, well, that's a good idea. All right, so since you are a millionaire, <laughs> since you live in California, a citizen ballot initiative state, since you have a platform, since you have popularity, okay, run a citizen ballot initiative for CalCare, for a public bank, outlaw private equity from owning housing, all of that stuff. You feel what I'm saying? It's, it's like, it seems like this, I'll, I'll tell any of these guys this. Okay, if you want to do those universal policies, I'm not stopping you from doing it, okay? The only thing that's stopping you from doing it is if you don't live in a citizen ballot initiative state, okay? You say you want to do all of these things, okay? Well, do it. You know what I'm saying? Just just, just go ahead and do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's all talk. It's all, bl I don't know. I think they're thinking of this big, everyone holding hands and marching to a protest. Look, here's the thing, and I want everyone to understand this, right? What is the reason why we protest? You protest to get the politician to do what you want. But if you already have the power to do what you want, who needs the politician except for when you need your street paved or when you need a stop sign at the corner? If you could, if, you, if you're protesting, you live in somewhere in a state that allows you to do it yourself and get the laws and the amendments that you want, I, I, okay, I probably protest once, and after that, I use that as a as a means to get people together and be like, "Yo, let's get this shit on the ballot," because they ain't doing it. Okay. Also, why is the reason that we strike to bring the uh, the boss to the negotiating table for collective bargaining? But if you do a worker cooperative, well, you own it. You know what I mean? I saw something. I forgot what city it was, but there was Uber protesters who were. You're like, yo, they're not paying us right or whatever the case is. I said, if there was somewhere that they can have, like, if they had, if there was some type of government agency that mimics the Small Business Administration, but for co-ops, if that existed, I would bring, if it didn't exist, I would bring it into existence. You could just go over there. You feel what I'm saying? Matter of fact, check this out. You was talking about, uh, Notori, you was talking about the government giving money to people, right? So I was watching... Um, Professor Wolf episode, and he said that the federal government just gave, oh, I forgot the name of the company, um, but a company in Nevada, $1 billion to mine lithium in Nevada. Saw okay? that. Because they, they, they could not come up with the money itself. Okay, so you go into the government for, for a handout, for a check. Well, it was a loan. Okay, all right. What about if that money, so if you could give $1 billion to a corporation, you could give $1 billion to people to start a worker cooperative, okay? So like I said, you know, at, at the same time, what I see, when, when I hear like Tucker Carlson and he started to adopt some progressive policies, talking to Jimmy and Jimmy think he's, I guess he feels that he has a big win because he started talking about Julian Assange. He started talking about some other stuff, COVID, questioning corporations, sound like it's for work. Okay, yo, that's all fine. But I just see him as another Woodrow Wilson. 
okay progressive but that don't mean that he's including us on in on on any of that you know what i mean like he can't even recognize that he got racist views it's like oh people call me racist i, I don't know I, what, what are you talking about i, I just I just call Iranian not, people monkeys. It's not just him. It's not just him. And I don't want to watch no show. Yes, you can be good on a lot of shit, but I don't want to watch no show where I feel like talking about black issues is a dirty word. I don't want to feel like um I'm the only Absolutely. nigga in the room. Absolutely. Well, Ashura, I just want to I just want to say something. Yeah, I want to say something really quick. Ashura, I saw your comment. Why is Roger expecting a a rich guy to do something? where it isn't the movement made by the poor people. I don't think Roger is expecting him to do something. I think Roger wants him to be held accountable for the rhetoric that he had. Let's not get it twisted. We cannot sit up here and pretend like Tucker Carlson didn't play into the same identity politics that he is criticizing the left for playing into. Right. And Jimmy is not calling him a Democrat. And Lee, I think you... You got a lot of background noise. Um, oh, let me mute. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I, I just... I don't, I don't yeah. mind that people have their favorites. Oh, you can still have your favorites. But don't... um Like, just like I said, and I text this, I say it's so many people that ride Jimmy D. Like, he God. He's not fucking God. Just because you like him don't mean other people can't see what we see and can't criticize him because I'm going to criticize whoever I see that's um, I'm going to call your ass out if you're doing some fuck shit and, and what and what if, I say you can't criticize Jimmy I'm just saying to Roger if he, if Jimmy don't ever said he was basically all these titles just people tend to put the titles on him he's just a rich guy in his garage I so, that. yeah but he also was scolding he was also sure, scolding I just want to say this real quick. He was scolding, like literally seething at the mouth, talking about how working class he was. And I think JB pointed it out like, yeah, it was for your dad's company. And then, you know, not not knocking that. But if you dig into it, like did his dad get government grants and loans that were denied to other people's fathers and stuff. And then also uh, letting him off the hook and just saying he's a rich white guy, which means shouldn't he be held to a higher standard? I'm not a millionaire and shout out to RBN, but I've done in my in my neighborhood by myself, got into politics, helped uh, the first uh, black mayor get elected in my city. I am not a politician. I just did this on my own. I didn't take any political courses. I've, d- I've done over five food drives, turkey drives and Christmas. All this stuff is coming out of my money. I mean, out of my pocket in uh, community donations. Just did a toy drive did free coding classes for kids i mentor you I, I i coach um football so i'm saying like does could jimmy say that i'm not saying that he has to do that but is he talking to people from that background he's wagging his finger at cornell west saying he's grew up in an ivory tower while he's talking to tucker carlson who's worth over 500 million i mean right you don't west have this and- same energy for robert kennedy and, and and Cornell West did not grow up in an ivory tower. Cornell West went to public school, just FYI, for people who are not aware, you can look this up yourself. And RFK Jr. grew up in a rich ass, pretty much what you would call if we had a monarchy in the United States, pretty much an American dynasty who was given basically given everything at fucking birth. 
So why isn't that same rhetoric being used towards RFK Jr.? Because he's so why when it comes to the, him talking about Cornell West being in the ivory tower, I think he's focusing on the on the dad. But I'm like, I don't really, I don't really care about it when he basically bitches about Cornell because I feel like he's just he's just he felt like slighted by it. But when I said the Roger, it's like he never said he was part of the movie. He's just some guy who uses YouTube to make some money for a show. That's not. I'm sorry. That's not true. That's not true. Because just recently, just recently, he was saying he will start a revolution and he'll lead it since nobody else will. And I'm sorry, but that rhetoric, that rhetoric came from Rome. The first person I saw, and this was before FHL even existed. Rome was on Twitter doing mutual aid, doing tour for the poor. For those who don't know, tour for the poor existed before FHL. That was always Rome's own thing before he joined FHL and we became RBN. But Rome was the one that was spewing that rhetoric and that was coming out of the Bernie campaign. He was a part of the Bernie campaign. Like he tried it all the other ways. And what Rome saw is that actually helping people in the community and organizing was actually helping people a lot more than telling people to donate and vote for these politicians. So that whole, and I got to say this because I've seen this happen multiple times, particularly within this space where black people, black commentators will say something first and white commentators will take it and make it their own thing. And that's not just, that's not just something towards a Jimmy. I've watched Kyle Kalinske do that shit. I've seen Crystal Ball do it. I've seen other white commentators in this space. What they'll do is like, They'll watch smaller black channels. They won't invite those people on, but they'll watch it for the information and they'll take that information and then they'll give those same talking points as if they came up with it and it was their idea. Just like when Elvis used to steal shit from black people. Okay. They do that same shit happens today. So, so the thing, the point I think that Roger's trying to get across is not that he has to lead anything is the fact that there are people out there on the ground doing those things and i don't see those people on the show the past couple of months what i've seen and this is when i actually watch it but what i've seen i've seen a lot of conservatives on there and this is not to say you can't talk to can't bring them on but my thing is why are you being nicer to the people that you used to scream about two, three years ago than you are towards the lefties who are actually out there on the ground doing shit. That's my question. So sure, I, I used to, hold on, I used to like Jimmy Doe, but I, I, like I was looking, seeing what was going on and then what really put the icing on the cake. And like I said, it's not just him, but I'm just using this as an example because when he had, I saw the interview when he had Robert up there and he played stupid as fuck. Like he didn't know what was going on. He shot the hell up. He shut up. But when um, Cornell West was up there, if he felt slighted or anyway, he should have kept his feelings to his damn self. If you keep saying he's a comedian or whatever and just handle it like he handled um, Robert. But you can tell, I, don't, I guess his feelings were hurt or whatever. But the same energy he gave Cornell West, he did not have for Robert. When he said he didn't know nothing, he didn't know nothing. And he sought there. Oh, he same thing with Jill Stein. Same thing with Jill Stein. Jill Stein hasn't even been on there yet. And next thing I knew, because she came onto my show first, which by the way, 
It was not like that was something I, I planned to happen. It just so happened that she chose to come onto my show first. I'm pretty sure several people reached out to her. But the thing is, is that all of a sudden I was getting attacked on Twitter because she came on my show first and didn't go on his show first. How does that make any, any, any fucking sense? What happened to, we need to leave the two party system. What happened to that? Now you shitting on the people who are running outside of the two party system, except for Robert, because he your friend and because he right on COVID. Oh, no, Sherry, sure, you got to take the blinders off and see things. We got to take the blinders off. You got to take the blinders off and see things for what it really is. I'm going to let y'all know exactly what happened. After Bernie 2020 and Bernie decided to bow out, a lot of these channels, and I didn't have a channel at that point, a lot of these channels were like, well, what do we do now? Because if you started a channel during that Bernie 2016 and you rode that wave through Bernie 2020, you grew tremendously because that was also before YouTube changed their algorithm and that was before the YouTube heavy suppression against independent media. So people like people support, Secular Talk and all them, they grew tremendously. But the moment that Bernie bowed out in 2020, they knew that was a wrap. And then Joe Biden won and not Trump. Then the question was, damn, how am I make money on this channel? Because Trump's not in office, so I can't get clicks and views from that. And Trump was, by the way, Trump wasn't just good for mainstream media. Trump was good for independent media. If when, when Trump was president, he was trending constantly on YouTube. So regardless if you were independent or mainstream, you were making some money when Trump was in office. Okay. So Trump is defeated. Joe Biden wins. So what happened was then a lot of those channels started to pivot more towards the democratic party establishment because they're like, okay, now I got to pull in more liberal viewers because Biden is president. That's why you guys started to see Kyle start to make that shift. Uh, Humanist report, all them like, well, vote for Joe Biden because look at all the things that he was able to do and da da da. After they told you multiple times during the Bernie campaigns not to support a corporate candidate, and then some of them moved towards the right. Because that's where the money is. And this is what people have to understand. If you don't do this as a, you don't do this in the space, I can tell you the right wing commentator shows make way more money, get way more ad revenue, and they get more sponsor opportunities. Pete, that's why people like, if you're, especially if you're black, if you're black and you're conservative on YouTube, you make a lot of fucking money. You can look it up and see all the black channels that are conservative channels. They make way more money. It is not profitable to be on the left as a YouTuber anymore because Bernie is not running. So what Crystal and Kyle tried to do, they said, let us get another person to run as that progressive candidate so we can get back in the swing of things and keep that progressive audience. That's where Marianne Williamson comes in. And if you remember from the interview, what did they say? What did Kyle say? He said, Marianne, I wanted you to run. I asked you to run. So you guys see what's happening? So what I'm saying is this. At the end of the day, a lot of these people, and I've seen this from my own experience, a lot of these people don't have firm principles. A lot of these people are going where the money is at that point in time. Yeah, they may still believe in Medicare for all and all that jazz, 
but they're focused on what is going to make them money. Again, you have to follow the money. And that is why you saw the switch that you saw. That's why you saw David Pakman move over to the Democrat establishment. That's why you see people like Roland Martin stay where they are. And that's why you saw some of these people pivot more towards the right. The reality is, and I applaud people's growth, but I applaud the growth when it's done in a moral principled way. Now I want to know how in the hell you people went from talking about Medicare for all and universal policies to all of a sudden, let's not talk about those things. Somebody made a video on YouTube where they pointed out how a lot of these people three, four years ago were saying one thing and now they're saying they're doing the same shit that Dave Rubin did. They may not be as obvious about it, but to that point, Ashura, when Jimmy says things like don't talk about identity and all that shit, all you got to do is go back three years ago and see he was saying the same thing. He was talking about identity. He was talking about race. He was talking about all those different things. Now it's not that he's not talking about identity. He's still talking about identity, but he's talking about identity that appeals to people who are white working class and are conservative because that's where the money is. And if you don't think that this is not about money, you don't understand how this game works. RBN, the reason why we don't grow the way that we should is because number one, there's a shadow ban on the RBN channel on YouTube. I already did the R I did the shadow ban test. So we all know that RBN is shadow banned. RBN doesn't even show up on my homepage and I'm a part of RBN and I'm subscribed to RBN. Okay. People show up on my homepage that I don't even fucking watch. So I see who's being pushed out in the algorithm. So there's that. The reason why a lot of these channels had a problem with RBN is because RBN was not willing to bend. RBN was not willing to say, no, we're not going back to that bullshit. We're not going back to that. Now, does it benefit us monetarily? No. There's five of us. Do the math. Look at the number of subscribers we have on RBN. We don't make that much. So monetarily, financially, it does not benefit us at all to say the things that we are saying. However, some of the people who are saying what they're saying right now, it benefits them financially and it benefits them monetarily. Sal, so, do you remember how um, people drag Brianna, Brianna Joy Gray, um, Katie Helper, and others for being buddy buddy with Marianne? How many people drag Jimmy ass for being buddy buddies with um, Robert? I can't name one. Of I, I just wanted to make a few um, fundamental points to connect what Roger was saying to what Be Easy was saying. You know, I've often said that this country has two fundamental organizing principles. Fundamentally, there is capitalism, which establishes rich and poor. And then you had white supremacy that established black and white. And between those two polarities, your entire social strata was formed. So when Roger says, you know, you had Levitt towns being built here and there. Oh, Woodrow Wilson was progressive, except for the blacks. 
You know, we talk about the various black communities that were burned to the ground. We talk about the Homestead Act that gave a lot of European immigrants land grants out west, this and that. When you consider all of those types of dynamics that happened to this society from the beginning right up to now, you see the actions of the society making whiteness the default position in this country. And you also see the fleshing out of the white psyche. If you are in a city and you're white and you see that the legislative process, the governance process allow this community to be raised to the ground and nothing was said. If you see, if you're a white person, everyday working class or even poor, and you see that the, the governance structure ran a highway through this black community and it was considered justified and everything, that builds out the consciousness of whiteness. And that's why it is so difficult for white people to come to the table in an honest and earnest way and say, yes, this has been unfair to the descendants of slaves. Yes, this is unfair to snap. Because when those things were happening, those major fundamental um, um, unequal treatments, they saw that as okay. That's what their experience was. And that's where that primacy on whiteness was established. That's why it is virtually almost impossible to extract that construct out of this society because again, it was one of the most fundamental organizing principles, one of the major two. And then when you come to be easy and he's saying, oh, you have all of these identities at work, you have you know, religious preference, you have ethnicity, you have sexual orientation, you have, you know, the class, typical class issues that deal around economic import and all of this. But again, you can draw a line right through all of those identities. And if you are black and have those additional identities, you are worse off because not only are you at the fundamental bottom of the black white or no but now you have these other identities that are no help for you if you are gay lesbian lgbtq all of these things but you are white that creates even a type of shield from some of the worst things that can happen to you in this society if you are black and have the same set of identities so even when we consider all the sub identities that go within you know the context of what it means to be an american the fundamentals that describe where you are going to land right off the top has to do with capital whether you're rich or poor and then the next crossbar is race whether you're black or white and after you get those two fundamentals in place, then you can, you know, shade in some of the gray areas. But that's why we're in the place we're in. And that's why it is so difficult to have a discourse around these things in terms of building coalitions and this and that, because they some of them literally cannot see it because their whole consciousness was shaped around it. OK, great, great. Um, thank you so much for that, Noel. Um, I want to let Ashura come in and then I think Roger then be easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to say 
so the show that catch up with Sabrina, I'm, I'm gonna get to you, Roger. Uh, when I met Sabrina, when I said that to uh, to you, um, I know basically when I Cornell came on this show and he talked about class, I had to look it up. And class is not just what Jimmy says it is. She's just leaving out the equation. You could also say that uh, class is about poor, which white, even basically race. It, it you you cannot basically just disconnect them, no matter what he says. To me, I just don't listen to that. I just listen to the other stuff like the foreign policies. On the home front policies going on in the United States, when he tries to bring it up, I'm like, okay, I got to basically change the channel because he's not going to basically say it the way you guys say it. And and because of when Roger says, I'm like, I'm not coming for Roger. I'm just saying, you you guys all said it the same. The movement is made by poor people. So whatever he says doesn't really matter. You just you got to just be the ones to just you know just do the do the damn thing. And basically, if you you reach a roadblock, which is money. Doesn't mean like you just stop and just wait for like Jimmy to just give give you money to show you to just move forward. You can just basically keep doing the damn things like building an anthill. You just don't stop. But Ashura, I want you to think about what you just said. What you just said when it comes to the domestic policies, that he's not going to explain it, going to say it the way that we say it. Okay, so I'll just switch the channel and come back for the foreign policy stuff. The point is, Ashura. This has been explained to him multiple times. Yeah, yeah. So the question you need to ask, why is he choosing not to say it? Because I know the, well, let's say the liberal Jimmy Dore used to say it. This new version, I, I guess he wants to connect both people. I don't know if you saw the show, uh, I think it was last week. He brought this comedian on and he was like bitching about white privilege. And there's a point oh, where Oh yeah, that freaking guy. Yeah, he bitched about white privilege because I thought it was a black person that came after him and said you got white privilege. No, it turns out it was a liberal that told him that. And he's lost his shit. There's a point where even Jimmy brought an analogy about wearing a suit that if he walked down the street, the cops would protect him, and that uh, bl- black people are overly policed. They're at the bottom of everything. And he's trying to explain to him, and there's a point he doesn't want to hear. He's like, Where are you getting your facts? What's your facts? I got facts. I always have my facts right there with me. Like, where are you getting your shit? He's like, no, it's 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 a thing to the point where the the entire show became it was him and Kirk tag teaming Jimmy Dore to the point where Jimmy gave up. It does point in the chat. People were saying, bro, take control of your show. So, Ashura, the 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 point I want to make is this: he has no problem taking control. When it's someone he feels slighted by, he felt slighted by Cornell West yes, with things that happen behind the scenes. But the thing is, don't don't be fooled. The majority of the audience now that is tuning into that show wants to hear the rhetoric that is being said. They don't want to hear about what's happening to black people. They don't want to hear about what's happening to gay people or trans people. You want to keep it real? Let's keep it real. JB show presented data on every single one of those facts and JB debunked every single fucking thing just with data, just with data. So when people say, don't talk about trans issues, don't talk about gay people issues, the majority of homeless teenagers in the country are LGBTQ, but don't talk about that. When we talk about who's struggling the most economically in this country, there was an article recently came out, Joe Biden's bragging like, oh, black wealth is up. Black people are still at the bottom. If you read the full fucking article, at the bottom it says black Americans are still at the bottom. 
Latino Americans are above black Americans economically in this country, but we can't talk about that. Police still out here killing unarmed black people in the street, but don't talk about it because that's divisive. Don't talk about reparations for African-American descendants of slavery because that is divisive. Divisive for who? Device. Why is it whenever it comes to issues that pertain to black people is divisive, but whenever it's issues that benefit white people, it is not divisive because they are the majority. That is a problem, Ashura. The rhetoric has changed. And I'm not saying that you should not watch, watch him. I'm not saying that you shouldn't listen to him. I'm not saying you should be mean to, I'm not saying any of those things. I'm not saying cancel this person. What I am saying is a shift has been made that financially is beneficial. And that's the point. You guys got to understand what people are making in this space. Don't look at me. Cause I sure as hell ain't rich. I'm not a millionaire. I have student loan payments. My student loan payments are like $400 a fucking month. Okay. And I've long, I'm long gone from undergrad, like $400 a month. So don't look at me. My ass ain't rich. But what I'm saying is, is that you cannot sit here and continue to make excuses just because you like this person. Because when I mess up, y'all have no problem telling me, Sabby, I love you, but you got this wrong. Y'all have no problem saying that shit to me. No problem saying it to RBN. If it was Kyle Kalinske who said the shit that, that Jimmy said that JB played on his show to Tucker Carlson, y'all would be fucking livid. And you need to ask yourself why. You cannot fall in love with personalities. That is a problem. And I see people do it with politicians too. Yes. I told you guys, I think Cornell West has the best policies, but I've also been critical about Cornell West. The problem is, is that some people have gotten attached to some of these commentators so much to the point that you guys can't even admit when they're fucking wrong. And that's a problem, but you have no problem admitting when the rest of us are wrong. So let me answer your question, Ashura. Yeah. I, I said what I said because it's, I call it calling your bluff. Okay. I know he's bullshitting, but look, I'm saying put your money where your mouth is and you got a lot of money. Okay. You said, I'm going to lead. Okay. When you say that, you just opened up the door. He literally said that. That was the tweet that I responded to. Okay. So, Hey, you're good at calling everybody else out. Now I'm going to call you out to take that action. Okay. Why? You're a millionaire. You have a popular platform. You have, you live in a citizen ballot initiative state. You talk about, you know, you, if you can't just talk the talk, baby, you got to walk the walk. You feel what I'm saying? So yeah, no, I'm calling his bluff. I'm seeing if he's bluffing. Okay. Um, I want to, I think he's bluffing. I, I want him to prove me wrong. That's 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 pretty much all it is, you know. I I think he's bluffing. I want him to prove me wrong, and um, I'm saying put your put your money where your mouth is. That's all, you know. All of this stuff, working class, we need to come together. And you know, his famous speech, we gotta come together and unify. And okay, all right, good. Get all those people together in California. You could. I I specifically said, do a comedy tour just in California, up and down, north and south, south and north. 
up the Western seaboard of California, right? You apply for a citizen ballot initiative amendment, okay? You bring them with you to your comedy tours and say, oh, guys, um, just letting you know we're trying to get cow care. That's what they call the single payer in California. Trying to get cow care and everyone in here and across the state, single payer health care. So before you guys get drunk and your, and your signatures become illegible, can you uh, go and sign those um, uh, petitions? Um, go see blah, blah, blah in the back of the club. We're trying to get it, guys. We're try- you know what I'm saying? Like, boom, just, just over there, all the way up and down, okay? Simple as that. If you ain't going to do that, then you just talking shit. That's all. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. I don't, I don't think he's going to get out talking about it. So I, I think he's going to look at what his bottom line is. Because as he said it before, he was raised of seven kids. He didn't drink milk. So to me, it's like, okay, he was raised a capitalist. So I don't see, see him as a... Because Whoopi Goldberg can say the same thing too. And I, tell, I would tell her, that was then, this is now. So yeah, so I'm like, so I'm like, well, if you're not gonna do it, why not just have people on that's gonna do it? Or like you said, that the uh, the initiatives you like to talk about, you can basically take a, take this COVID segment and just take them out, make put it there, and just talk, because, talk about because that's not profitable. And I can tell you that from my own experience. I did the ballot initiatives for all the states' results. Those videos have the least amount of views. But does that stop me from talking about it? No, that's the difference. Like, I think it, again, it's, it's not profitable. It's not sexy. Like, you know, a lot of people may not want to hear about that, but they should, instead of bitching and whining and complaining about what's wrong, you got to give people solutions. And I've said this multiple times, like, I'm sorry, we're at a breaking point here. And I think a lot of people are still waiting to get behind a candidate and that person to be the Trojan horse and the person that's going to rescue them and save them. And I've said this before. These people are not your heroes. You cannot look towards a candidate to be your hero. Period. Yeah, because I noticed because I noticed after the RFK thing in the corner of the West thing, I don't know if you saw the one with the guy with the horns, the shaman guy. Mm-hmm. He came on the show. He was running as a libertarian, and then he said he wanted to get involved with the show. I'm like, come on, man. We're going to do this a third time. Going to look for a hero in this guy. And there's a point where the guy tells him, uh, I can't I can't have you, like, basically helping me out. Like, we could go get a beer. But I could tell, like, he got that same facial look where, when he did call, he told Colton West that his campaign was a loser. And he felt like, I don't know if he trashed that guy, but it feels like, he wanted to be part of another, you know, a hero segment. I'm like, bro, stop looking for heroes. Why'd you just bring up people who just want to talk about the shit? And stop on politicians. Anyway, yes. my bad. I want to say this last thing and then I'm going to drop down. Um, it's one thing that I've been seeing too, like, yes, the um, Democrats take the um, identity politics but i see them even pushing hard and republicans doing it too with the lgbtq community and what i want to say just like i said with black people i said just because them bitches in office push people what goes on in people um bedrooms and stuff people still have to live their lives being gay trans bisexual whatever you need to people need to listen to them tell their stories other than letting democrats and gop tell other people's stories 
because I see a lot of that too, and it gets on my nerves. And then the people that supposed to be, you think they got your back and on your side, and it's not just Jimmy Dore, it's Crystal Ball and it's others, and they sit there and say, no, it's like they scooting it just like with the black shit. They scooting the LGBT like they don't exist. Just scoot that back there and see, let's do COVID. And all. it's all about what's profitable. Let's bring in um an Android. You're on the mic. If you're still there, oh. just go and mute. Okay, there we what's go. What's up? Uh, not much. Just here. But yeah, like I don't. I don't, it's like, I just stopped listening to like Kyle, Crystal, and all those people because like, it just seemed like they were more like, oh, look at all this. Look at what Biden did. Look what Biden did here. Like, where? Mm-hmm. What? You don't. And how are they helping people in the community? That's my question. What are you doing for people in your community? Especially if, do you guys know what I could do if I was a millionaire living here in Massachusetts? You know what I could do with that money to help people in Boston if I was a millionaire? And do you know? And I could put millions of dollars behind that ballot initiative, Roger. You see the the thing? What What could Rome do with that money to build his free library? Where Kyle is a millionaire. Crystal, like, where's the donations to Rome? Mm-hmm. None like, of those people have donated to that library, by the way. Because Rome would be able to tell you, everybody who donated, none of those people donated to that library. He actually even asked Jimmy in person when he was on RBN last time if he would donate to the library. What'd that tell you? A millionaire. What'd that tell you? Like, again, that's what I'm saying. Like, guys, the, the biggest power that you can have is organizing within your community. I kid you not. That's the biggest power. You don't want to start your own organization? Fine. Google organizations in your community. I guarantee you, first of all, there are so many organizations in this country nationally that have local chapters all across the country. So there's so many different ways that you can get involved, like organize within. See, that's why I don't get disappointed in reference to electoral politics. That's why I'm just like, uh, I, I know these people may not win or whatever, but if you want to start a third party movement, this is what you should do, right? But that's not the only thing that I look forward to. And I think that was the mistake a lot of us made with the Bernie movement. We only looked for, well, Bernie can win. And then when Bernie suspended his campaign, people were like, well, what do we do now? I don't have that. What do we do now? Because I organize within my community. I still can't believe I gave money to them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I also want to add to, um, because this isn't just about Jimmy. This is about addressing the rhetoric. So whether it was Kyle, uh, TYT, David Pakman, I haven't seen Jill Stein on none of their shows. I haven't seen Dr. Shiva. I haven't seen uh, Claudia De La Cruz, but they have had Vivek. They have had Tim Pool and RFK and everybody else. But they have the least progressive candidates on progressive networks. But 
the people that are purportedly or legitimately progressive, suddenly they get no airtime. Exactly. Be easy because it doesn't appeal to the audience, the new audience. Like that's the thing. Like, and by the way, with Dr. Shiva, I have sent his information to multiple people. After I interviewed Dr. Shiva, this is what you guys don't know. I actually contacted multiple people recommending an interview with Dr. Shiva. I'll let you guess who decided against it. But Sabrina, isn't it because they don't like his, well, his tone style of interview? No, it's because that's not a money-making brand for them. They know that Dr. Shiva doesn't bring clicks and views because he's not as popular as RFK or Vivek. Because I know the Shiva guy, I know it's because he he was bitch about Jimmy Dore online, so that's basically why he's not coming on. I don't no, know, that no, that is yeah. not why he's not coming yeah, on. I don't, Dr. I, Shiva, Dr. Shiva's campaign, they reached out way before all the bitching started. And Dr. Shiva was actually right in reference to the mandates when RFK Jr. was not. Dr. Shiva was right on COVID from the get-go when RFK Jr. was not. But who do people want to bring on and promote? The Kennedy. Kennedy. And who was getting the credit for the Kennedy? I love how he ran down. And I hope what? Yeah, Doctor Shiva. Like he, in my opinion, he was pretty real. Honey, if you're not careful, anything. If you're not careful, Dr. Sheep will burn your fucking house down. Yes. Because he is a straight talker and he doesn't mind cutting the mustard. And if and that's another thing, when you when and we've always said there's a difference in podcasters. Some are activists, some are commentators, this, that, and a third. But you want to get the people that you can rely on to to just kind of walk a certain path. But you bring on some of those straight talkers like Dr. Shiva and he will burn your shit to the ground. And you'll be sitting there with your tongue wagging because you won't know how to. (laughs) And not only that, this this is where uh, I think that uh, people have become very intellectually soft and fragile. Go look at James Baldwin's interviews and go look at Malcolm X's interviews. He's being interviewed by people that actually actually hate his guts, that actually think that he is inferior, that actually think he doesn't deserve to sit there. And you mean to tell me that Jimmy, Kyle, or anyone else won't talk to Dr. Shiva because he said some mean tweets? How fragile is that? Based on that logic, no black person should ever go on Fox News, right? How goofy. And here's the thing. You brought up James Baldwin. I also want to bring up W.E.B. Du Bois. I know some people were saying in the chat, it's 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 Du Bois. I'm like, he pronounced it Du Bois. So I don't know. I mean, it's supposed but, to be Du Bois because there's no way to, the way you pronounce it doesn't make sense unless he's got some French person in the family because it's Du Bois. That's basically how you pronounce it. Well, well if, it's, if it's his name, we can kind of tell him how to 
oh, he's dead, so we can't do shit. <laughs> he said, yeah, so WWEB Dubois, let me tell you something. Frankenstein should be easy. I'd be happy to tell him that. This is the thing, because a lot, like, those of us at RBN, like, right, we're we're Marxists. If we had to give ourselves a label, we would say we're Marxists, right? So, that all leads back to W.E.B. Dubois. Marxism. He is actually the father of Marxism. And one of the things that he made very clear, and you have to read, if you have not read his work, you have to read it. I grew up reading it. But you have to read it because he makes it very clear how you cannot unite the workers just simply based on the work. When you're talking about the working class, you have to include everybody. It can't just be we're just going to focus on the wage issue and not focus on all the other social issues that these groups have to deal with. Marxism doesn't separate the two. That's what people have to understand. So this is where like I break from libertarians because I agree with libertarians when it comes to anti-war. I agree with them about that. And surveillance. Huh? And surveillance. And surveillance. Yes, I agree with them about that. Not down for that. Any of that shit. But I have to break away from them. When it comes to the working class and people talking about their identity and dealing with issues that pertain to their group, because all you got to do is go back to W.E.B. W.E.B. Dubois, and he explained this from the get go. You cannot separate the two when we also working class, we mentioned the working class in this country. The majority of African-Americans are working class. But people want to say, don't talk about race. You know, it's just it's just things like that. So when when people say, let's unite the working class, but don't mention race, don't mention gender, don't mention uh, sexual identity, don't talk about those things. Really what they're saying to you without saying the words which I did get pasta to say, the they're invisible. talking about the white working class, the cis white working class. And Correct. that's why when pasta was on and he said, well, it'll, it'll offend people. You'll turn off some people. And I said, who? And he said it, you guys can, I'll put the, I'll put the yeah, video. I remember it. You remember Roger? I, I remember yeah, he said, it. Clear. he said white people. I said, you got to admit that, Sabby? Oh, shit. That's that's what he said. But not only that, that's where the job of a commentator, an activist, a journalist, whatever you want to label yourself is, that or a creator, that's where it's your job to use your facts and a contextual analysis to say, hey, look, you may be on the fence, but this is why this is right. There were plenty of people um, in America that had no idea what was going on in 
Palestine. And what are they doing now? Marching in the street because they've been educated by people like RBN and people that are doing the actual hard work to just say, oh, it's going to be divisive. So we're not going to talk about it. But they never, when people are attacking us, no one calls that divisive. It's just like, get over it. You, uh, uh, so what do people call you slurs, have thick skin, but they're, you know, but then you say reparations and that's like suddenly a, racial epithet towards white people like reparations them hoes got a light road i think you should oh and one of what's even more messed up about reparations like you know how white people like oh it's been such a long time it's been centuries ago get over it motherfucking slave owners got reparations before black people have what does that tell you about this country and i I think you should Oh, I just want to add this because people saying it was such a long time ago. I do understand that they were pandering for votes, but indigenous people have received reparations on multiple occasions, except for the black ones. They just type in black uh, Native Americans expelled from the tribe. Then if you look at the dolls roll, if you know what a $5 Indian is, they paid. And then people like Elizabeth Warren was able to claim Native American ancestry. And unfortunately, many um, indigenous people did enslave blacks and helped to subjugate them as well. But this just happened this year. 32 billion in the American Rescue Plan, the largest direct federal investment into tribal nations. I didn't genocide anybody, right? But my taxpayers are going to that. You see how that logic goes? Uh, I'm not a senior citizen, but my taxes are going to Social Security, right? I didn't bomb anyone in Ukraine, but my taxes is going there. How far do we want to go with this, right? I'm not a trans person, so, so so they shouldn't have bathrooms. You see how goofy that logic sounds like? And then not only that, it was a total of $45 billion, $13 billion went into the bipartisan infrastructure law to build high-speed internet, roads, bridges, public transits, clean water, and improved sanitation in tribal communities. Tribal is an identity. Is Jimmy or anyone else, Tucker, going to do a segment railing against tribal communities and how this is woke in identity politics? This just happened this year. This year. you know, but no one is complaining about it. Yeah, I saw that that uh, post from Kamala Harris actually on Twitter where they were talking about that, that they did all this for the indigenous populations. Again, I, I don't know how many times to say this, but they put everyone before us. They put everyone before <laughs> before African-American descendants of slaves every time. But it's because, oh. as I say, we are the default bottom. And if you unleash us from the bottom of the socioeconomic strata, the entire pyramid begins to collapse. And like I've said before, people's identity and who they understand themselves to be as an American has as much to do with their racial identity as anything else. And so it threatens people when you say reparations, because what they see is, wait a minute, if these people come up off the bottom, then the economic exploitation that never ended for them, the economic disparagement that the descendants of slaves have suffered in this country has never ended. But not only that, 
you began to disturb the social strata. Because if you snatch us from up off the bottom, okay, now what is the bottom of the socioeconomic pyramid in America if it is not a default black? So default white is based out of default black. And if you change default black, then white identity shifts. And that's why they are so threatened and so afraid and so everything else. And that's that's a part of their allure and tie to Donald Trump, because he speaks in those dog whistles that says to them, I will restore you to something in the 1950s, make America great again. And, you know, the further back you go in this history, the more overt our infringement becomes and that's why they cling to it they know exactly what he's saying but they're down with it because it edifies the primacy that their understanding of who they are has in this country i feel like we was built we was built to stay at the bottom in this country black people and i feel like um they throw us crumbs every now and then like i'm talking about actually crumbs and that's why like some black people still run into the democrat party but i feel like a lot of people running because i voted in the democratic party three times because i was young dumb and full of cum i voted for obama i was 18 and i voted for a crooked ass um what's his name Hitler. Um, uh, Bill Clinton, the one that supposed to be a socialist. I don't forgot his name. I can't. Oh, Bernie. Bernie. Yes, Bernie. <laughs> oh, I voted for him in the primaries, and the oh, 2020 yes. was my first time voting for him, and I regret it. 23, regret it. Well, I was just gonna say, um, it's not even just an, an, another thing I want to bring up too. We also have to be careful about some of the pan-African groups that also want to exclude black people based on other identities. There was a guy I brought on before, if you were following us, we were FHL. There was a guy I brought on before, he reached out and said he wanted to come on and talk about this organization that he had for, for black people. And by the way, everything was going great. The conversation was rolling. He was talking about doing trade programs. Like he said, if you don't know how to do the job, you don't have a skill, that's okay. We'll teach you. We'll teach you how to do it. Everything sounds great to me. Then we got towards the end of the conversation. All of a sudden, he talked about who couldn't be a part of the organization. He said LGBTQ people couldn't be a part of the organization. He said if you had been in the military in the past, you couldn't be a part... He said, if you've been incarcerated before, you can be a part. And I told him, I said, well, you're excluding a segment of the black population. I said, because a lot of black people may have been in the military because the military recruits in lower income black communities. That's how my dad was recruited, right? He was like, yeah, but we don't want no one that's been in the military. I was like, okay. <laughs> then he Then he brought up. Eric, actually, Eric might remember this. I think Eric was in the chat when I had this conversation with this dude. This was, they, he was called the People's, he was called the People's Party, but it wasn't MPP. But anyway, like, he was, it was really weird. Like, then he said, you couldn't join the organization if you were LGBTQ. And I said, why? What what is their what does someone's sexuality have to do with them learning like a skill and benefiting the black community? He said, Well, we're about love with the man and the woman. I was like, Family what values. Does that have to do? What does that have to do with black community? He was like, So again, 
I believe that love is with the man and the woman. And I was like, so is this a dating organization? Well, no, it's just, you know, black community building and strengthening the black community. Okay. So what does that have to do with, and I kept pushing back on him. He was like, I know this is like a lefty channel and I know what you guys believe in stuff, but you know, we just feel that, uh, uh, love is between a man and a woman. I'm like, but this is not a love organization, man. This ain't tender. What is this? It was weird. again. <laughs> you remember Eric, you remember that guy? He never came yeah. back on one. <laughs> that sounds like a <laughs> Sabrina. When you get the chance, check his phone records. <laughs> it was very weird. I'm gonna find it. It's it's on RBN channel. It's going way back. And I was just like, I was really excited for that interview too. Wow. Because I was like, man, they did all this stuff in the community. I was pumped and excited. Then he threw all that stuff my way. And I'm like, <laughs> like I, the one thing I did agree with is when he said you couldn't be a cop. Totally get that. I get it because of some of the stuff that they were trying to do, right? Within the community. But the stuff about you couldn't have been, you, you can't have a record. You can't be... I'm like, what if you had a record, but it was like for, I don't know, you sold weed, which is legal in a lot of places now. You still can't be a part of the organization. Honey, look, he ain't never come back on. So, so Sabrina, I just wanted to say this real quick before you bring Ben uh, a Brady on. Um, so you're probably read more books on W.E. Du Bois, Du Bois. But there was something that he said that, you know, kind of like turned me because, you know, there's always this debate, you know, like, oh, you know, the, the debate of Booker T. Washington versus W.E.B. Du Bois, right? And the one thing that really that kind of like turned me off is when he was talking about the talented 10. And that how's this like that just does not jive with how you're going to be like a socialist but then say only there's only a top 10 of our community that is qualified to lead the rest of us because socialism is in, that's what he was calling himself. I believe means the community move as a unit and saying, well, there's only a top 10 elite of us that can lead the rest of us. That's like the opposite. So I don't know that who I, who, who I think, and you know, you could do what you want or whatever, but who I think you guys should really look at, I think that is more inclined with the Black socialism working class is Asa Philip Randolph. Um, you know, just like I was telling Ben Du before, who was the uh, union president of the sleeping car porters, the first Black union in the country. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, like I said before, he was the person that, that, oh, but almost organized the first march on Washington for workers and he scared the shit out of FDR. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he said, he's really going to bring all these Negroes here. He's just like, yeah, you better give him what he wants. So when he had, um, what's that word? When he had desegregated, um, he got, he got, he got people, he got black people jobs in the military, like making weapons for, for the, you know, cause it, it, World War II or whatever the case was. 
the one person that was like pissed off at at him for that, for for being like, yo, you should have kept going, was a young Bayard Rustin. Okay. And he so eventually Asa Philip Randolph eventually you can probably say he was responsible for the march on Washington because he was the one that bought King, was it Roy Wilkins? Um like all these different civil rights leaders together to do the march on Washington. He was really the one that called for it. And he said, it should be Bayard Rustin that organizes it because he was just like, well, the way this guy came after me, I'm gonna give him a chance and be like, yo, show what you know or whatever. But I'm just saying like, if you're like a a, a black socialist, that means you're for like working people. And I see that more uh, Asa Philip Randolph more aligning with what you guys are about even though he, he was more union it wasn't like worker cooperatives or what probably people didn't even know what worker cooperatives were back then whatever but anyway that's all i was going to say i know other people got talked and they've been waiting a while to what's up y'all what's up i'm wondering if you happen to know my friend alex burnell by chance i know a lot. he's pretty active in texas I know a lot. brady brady just out of curiosity but uh um, there's also, I'm wondering if anyone knew about that assassination that happened in Israel, if anyone knew who it was yet. I know they said that they didn't want the name disclosed. I was just wondering if there's any news on that. I didn't see, then, yeah, um, I didn't see I didn't the see, name yeah, yet. I didn't. I was like, I wonder what Netanyahu has to say about it. <laughs> but like, apparently he's still good. Um, but, uh. Whitney Webb had an interview just recently, a couple days ago. It was pretty good about Bitcoin and stuff. But if she's not available for an interview, there might also. I was wondering if you've reached out to Catherine Austin Fitz. I think is her name. Maybe she might be good to talk to. She might be. So I still can't find Whitney Webb's contact information. That's that's the problem. It used to be an option on the Unlimited Hangout. I was told where you could go to the website and there was a drop down to select different uh, journalists to interview. Now, if you go to that website, that's not an option. So I don't, I don't know how to reach her. You can ask Steph. No, I'm good. Okay. Cause they got, they got her number. Cause when she was on, she said they. Yeah. I, I don't think, uh, Thank <laughs> I don't think that yeah, this, would be good to, for our, I was just gonna say anyone there's, from there's RBN of, to reach out to them. What's up, Brady? Lots of, lots of other good people to potentially reach out to kind of like, you know, along those same kind of lines. Um, Steph, Dr. Stephanie Seneff would be a good one as far as medical stuff goes. Um, she's a really cool lady. She's getting kind of old, so I don't know how long she has left to be good to get her before something bad happens. <laughs> and uh, uh, just wondering, uh, you know, we started organizing for Palestine here in Texas and I'm just wondering uh, what everyone else is doing in their States. And uh, maybe we can get together on call in and have like a call in meeting for all the pro Palestine movements. And it's some interesting points that I've been here on TikTok lately and talk online as far as kind of uh, swaying people goes. And I've, I've heard this criticism of the left that, we kind of blindly support Palestine without criticizing Hamas's actions, which I have to agree with sometimes. Like we're like, Hey, like, you know, I've seen this talking point and it kind of turns off the right. And I've 
because in, in my perspective, personally, I think that Hamas is kind of like, in, in some ways, enabling the violence. They're, they're kind of giving Israel an excuse to just, um, you know, target civilians or essentially, ex, you know, exterminate civilians. And I think Israel has given money to Hamas as well at some point. And so, like, I like to criticize both sides and say, you know, like, you know, there's some things that Hamas could do better, you know, absolutely, a thousand ways. And just mentioning that really, like, softens up people who are kind of on the fence about it or, like, really pro-Israel. They're like, okay, at least I know you're not, like, a blind, you know, supporter of, you know, violent dudes out there because... I do see fault on both sides. In my, my opinion, I, something I said that worked really well the other day was there's a lot of guilty adults in this situation and a lot of very innocent children in the situation on both sides. And that usually gets people to kind of perk up and say, okay, yeah, we need to do something to like calm the violence down at the very least and solve this in a, in a, how do you say, a, with, with words, with dialogue, you know? So again, I think I want to reiterate this. I think that people are looking at this from, uh, the the wrong perspective. We should not look at this as in reference to do you condemn Hamas or do you support Israel? We should look at this in reference to do you support the rights of the Palestinian people to have self-determination, to be free from occupation and oppression? Because I, I continue to point back to that because regardless if you say I support Israel or I condemn Hamas, that doesn't help the Palestinian people, period. If the Palestinian people were free, they weren't occupied, they weren't oppressed, and they had self-determination, this wouldn't even be an issue. Yeah, that's why I, a lot of people, when they get asked that question, they kind of break down. They're like, I don't know, they kind of don't know what to say. And that's why I encourage people to just say, you know, I condemn both sides and I support the people, you know, on both sides. Cornell West you know, said that his first day and what happened? Wait. At this point, wait. Wait, Israel's been doing this, like, ethnically cleansing, intentionally genociding Palestinians since the late 40s. Right. And so why, why are people not that, asking... This is stuff that we all know. I'm just talking like, about when, like, you're, when you're talking to a conservative Hamas? audience or a pro-Zionist audience, um, they get turned off if they feel like you're not hearing them, you know, and... Um, I've just I've seen it work a few times this last week, you know, on TikTok spaces and whatnot, TikTok lives where um, someone will condemn both sides and then they get a lot more attention. People actually listen to them instead of just kind of writing them off as crazy. No, but you know, no, um, when it comes to the rights. These people, and kind of pull people. these people are paid. Lee Camp revealed this a couple of days ago. These people are paid. What you got to understand is, again, like. The Zionist ideology is a supremacist ideology. Mm-hmm. It's so, not. There, there is, is no. no this, this is why, why people, people, people we're going to try to both sides it, or let me explain to you why Israel's right. No, it's a supremacist ideology, and it was that way from the birth of Zionism. It didn't just happen overnight or over the past couple of years. From the very beginning, the idea was supremacy. That's the thing. 
the very the very idea, the very goal was to make a, a Jewish state, which was just for Jewish people. So when Britain gave the okay to give you know Palestine to Jewish people and they claimed oh there's no people living there, they knew there were Palestinians there. From the very get-go, the plan was to make it just for Jewish people. It was never to let's live among Palestinians forever. It was always to eventually push them out and make a nationalist state, which imagine if we had that here in the United States where people were like, everybody else has got to go. And it's just America is just going to be for white people. So just think about that. Yeah, another point. And not only that, anything we allow to happen to Palestinian people is inevitably going to happen to U.S. citizens next because they test stuff out in Palestine and then they use it here in the home front. And another point that's been pulling people from the right as well, this one works really good, is when you mention that Palestinians aren't um, censoring Americans' right to speech. It's Israel that's affecting Americans, uh, literally attacking Americans' First Amendment rights right now. And that is like the cornerstone of democracy. So Israel is literally attacking American democracy right now. And Palestine is by no means anywhere near doing anything like that. That pulls a lot of people right on the right side of reality. And um, I also like to refer to it as Zientology. The other day I was talking to a bunch of Zionists in a TikTok live and I referred to it as Zientology. And even they were like, okay, I got to admit that was creative. And they thought it was pretty funny. And it kind of made them kind of, you know, step back and think for a minute, kind of put things into perspective. So fun word to get around. Interesting. Let's bring in Bindu. And then I am going to head out in about 10 minutes. Bindu, you're on the mic. Just got to unmute if you're still there. If not, understand. Going uh, once, going twice. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, like, a lot of, you know, I was really rocking with what a lot of people were saying tonight. I'm just sitting back listening. Like, you know, this is, a, when I come on here, this is a lot of the things I talk about. And just, like, honestly, just kind of going back a little bit to, like, the whole, like, indie media space, I guess. Like, honestly, just for me, what's worked for me is I just stopped listening to people, honestly. I just do my own research and everything like that. Like, that's no offense to, you know, like you, RVN. Like, I still check you up and check you guys out here and there. But it's just like, I, like, I used to be a Jimmy Dore guy, too. And then, like, hearing him, like, directly, like, bro, like, I got, I started fucking with your channel because you would speak, you were, like, the only white person, basically, speaking on police brutality, like, and actively, like, speaking out against it. But to now see him, like, bring on somebody like Tucker Carlson, for example, where it's like, you know, you guys are like bitching about like woke identity politics and shit. I'm like, bro, like Tucker Carlson and like Candace Owens and like a handful of other like conservative commentators are literally leading this charge against like the Zionist lobby because they believe that the Jewish population, but the the Zionist lobby has been pushing anti-white racism with like black people and gay people and shit like that. So it's like, you know, just bringing up the whole identity politics thing again, you know, that that never gets talked about or brought up on that show or any of that shit. And then just like, you know, a lot of the misrepresentations of entire arguments, like y'all never bring anybody on, you know, to push back against that. Or when you do have black people on, let's say like 
you know, they do happen to have like Nick on or somebody else, like they actively avoid that conversation or just, you know, say what wants to be said. But it's like, clearly, bro, you don't feel that way because, you know, you go out saying something else different when you get around a room full of white people. So it's like, honestly, that just made me stop like listening to a lot of people. And then on the political side, like I was never really a, you know, a big Bernie supporter. Like I always like saw like just like the fecklessness with him. So I was like uh, more of a Tulsi supporter. And it's like that I learned my fucking learned my lesson from that. Cause like it wasn't even like her, you know, anti-war stance, was, which was a bonus for me, but it was specifically about her stance on criminal justice reform. Like my concern has always been around black issues and I just I, I, I realize I, I always get got by people who claim to be air quotes allies to black issues and then they flip flop. And it just makes me go back to what my to what my pop said, like my like my dad been saying he's like, yo, they've been saying rising tide lift all lifts all boats since my time. They said that during, you know, grandpa's time, like my, my grandfather, and his grandfather's grand. Like they say this shit to black people all the time and don't actually mean it. And then they not even just like leapfrog over us they literally step on our backs to catapult their jump and then like pretend like they didn't do that shit so that's honestly why like there's only a handful of issues outside of black issues that like i i, I honestly give a fuck about anymore because it's like fuck all that <laughs> like our issues always go unanswered but we we're always supposed to put our issues to the side and fight for everybody else's i'm just i'm tired of that shit personally that's the that was the other thing um sabrina the libertarians, uh, criminal justice. That was the third one. Anti-war criminal justice and the uh, surveillance stuff. He didn't do just reminded me. That was that was it. Yeah, civil liberties. Like I've noticed, they tend to be like really good on those things. But then you gotta like you gotta distinguish like which ones are actually like true to that and which ones are actually just like conservatives larping as you know that because you know I've had conversations with people like in my town. Where it's like, you know, they'll talk about like, oh, freedom of speech online, blah, 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 and shit like that. But then next thing you know, as soon as the conversation gets to police, it's like, you know, the typical like MAGA Republican line. I mean, like even like stances on anti-war stances out, you know, like I'm like, are you for defunding, you know, the State Department? You know, are you for cutting, you know, the, the budget that we spend on? on all these wars down if not then i can't like necessarily take you seriously about that like same thing with like the fbi abolishing the fbi like these are the same people that say that but then whenever the fbi starts putting out statistics about black people you'll literally get people quoting fbi statistics and all this nonsense so it's like you know what what are we doing here like are we really against these things or are we only against these you know these institutions when they're fucking with you no that's that's it yeah. That's it. That's it. Because if you okay, so this is what I noticed: the, the law enforcement that conservatives are against is federal, but they love their cops. I was like, do you know? Don't they? The government, this, the government, that, anti-government, this, that, that, and everything. And I'll be like, you know, the cops are government, right? Uh, yeah, but well, take, when they Bill Benny, take, oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying that when they come to take your guns, they come in the police. Usually the local police first. You know what I mean? But they see the oh well, you know, the cop, that's that's my neighbor. That that they're not government. They're they're the uh 
that's my brother. That's my cousin. That's my like. They can't fa- they can't fathom that. I'm sorry. Like your husband's a fucking piece of shit, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's, it's like you know. You talk yeah. about I'm anti the government. The government. The government is bad. But then you. Oh, but then you pro cop. Yeah, that shit. And then it's like I remember like another thing. Like this is something I learned on Jimmy's show when I used to watch. When he was having Bill Benny on there to talk about the Russiagate, like hacking stuff and all that, to like talk about like the computer side and everything, like Bill Benny basically was talking about how the feds have been collaborating with the police departments for years, spying on like, you know, supposed low level drug dealers and shit like that and passing that information off the police, which is fucking illegal, but the police would pretend like they just got it from some random other place or some shit like that. And because it's putting criminals away, you know, it's making a certain group, a certain demographic happy that they're getting the illusion that, oh, look, we're putting criminals away, that everybody just doesn't talk about that fucking shit. But when the feds started doing that to Trump, now I'm supposed to care now? Like, oh, no, fuck that. Like, you know, it's like they always want you to unify under their issues, but never under your issues. And that's where it's just like, you know, like I said, it's not even just like I can not tolerate, but, like, I'm just, like, fuck ignorant people. If you're not trying to hear what I'm saying, fuck you. Because that's how a lot of these groups in America, you know, these non-black groups move anyway. They just say, fuck you. We don't care. We're going to do what we do. You could be mad about it, go pout and cry. Like, they'll literally, you know, they'll hop on Twitter and, like, literally laugh at black people, like, making, you know, like, yo, we're not the issue, da-da-da, but it's whatever. It, It is what it is. But it's, like, the sheer amount of time that has passed. Like, the fact that, like, yo... Y'all telling me to get over something where, like, two generations ago, like, that was slavery, bro. Like, <laughs> like that shit, it's not, it hasn't been, like, thousands of years or some shit like that. It's, like, it's not that far away, like, oh. from a lot of us. Did you? Yeah. All right, I'm going to, it, it is time for me to go. Um, I am going to head out with, I told you guys I would play this part from Billy Joel. The song is called Moving Out. I'm just going to play this verse. <laughs> Pretty funny. Mama Leone left a note on the door. She said, Sonny, move out to the country. Ah, oh, we're working too hard to give you a heart attack. I, 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 I. You want to know by now. You need a house out in Hackensack. Is that all you get for your money? And it seems such a waste of time. That's what it's all about. Mama, if that's moving up, then I'm moving out. Moving out, guys. Moving out. All right. It is past my bedtime. Time to go. But yeah, the name of that song is called Moving Out. Good morning. Hey, Sabrina, you're gonna be on for the Jeez. rest of uh, this week till January. We're on vacation. Do what? I'm sorry. The entire week from December right into the first week of uh, January. You're gonna be on vacation. No, I'm I'm here except for New Year's Eve. I'll I won't be here New Year's Eve. Sappy don't take days off. Continue to walk them hoes like a dog in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the notorious slogan. Good night, guys. Good night.
Bye. Later.